Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, after a nine-game winning streak, the Jazz have lost back-to-back games and to the best teams they've played in this stretch, too. Dallas got them, and now the Suns got them. Good game. Uh, <clears throat> a lot to go through in this game. And before we go through it, I have to say, the first thing you notice is the Jazz are truly taking people's best shots. Dallas played really well and beat the Jazz and then turned around and lost the Houston Rockets. They didn't have it. They didn't have anything. The Rockets are terrible. It should have been an easy win. But Dallas left it all out there to take down the Jazz. And I thought the Suns left it all out there. Uh, The Suns have to turn around and play the Clippers, and I'm just going to assume the Clippers are going to win the second game of that back-to-back. And the Jazz are going to have problems with Portland. I would not be surprised to see Portland beat the Jazz and make it three in a row. Both these teams, both the Jazz and the Suns, spent a lot of energy, and then it was tied, and it went overtime, and that's five more minutes. And now they both have to travel and play quality teams that are going to be in the Western Conference playoffs. So... Good luck with that. Uh, As far as the Jazz and Suns and what went right and what went wrong, uh, it looked on the surface a lot like the Dallas game. And there were some comparisons that I think are spot on, but there's some major differences. Uh, Certainly the Jazz struggled to score early. They defended well the entire first half. They were down 51-40 at halftime. Couldn't complain about the 51 points. I mean, they're individual possessions. You can look at stuff that happened, but... I think big picture, the way teams are scoring in the NBA these days, if you go to the locker room and you've only given up 51 points, that is at least a B or B-plus effort. And it might be better than that. Um, I thought the Jazz got beaten transition a couple times. That was a problem. And they gave up too many offensive rebounds. That was a problem throughout the game. But it became especially pronounced in a couple of key possessions in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, a couple minutes to go, and in overtime. Just... You know, close game, and they're giving up four shots on a possession. I mean, it just can't happen. They got out-rebounded by 16 boards. They gave up 16 offensive rebounds, but only had seven themselves. They got to rebound better, especially when these games get defensive and this figures to happen in the playoffs. And You're not going to make as many shots. There's going to be more rebounds to be had. And if you get worked, as a category becomes more important, it's going to be a problem. So I think that was one of the major takeaways. And again, the Jazz shot a really low percentage from three. They were ice cold early. It did pick up in the second half. Um, they ended up shooting, I think, 25%, no, 20, yeah, 25%, something like that. They only made 11. They averaged 17 makes a game. Six makes, 18 points in an overtime game would have been a big deal. Here's the key difference, though. In Dallas, they got exactly the shots they wanted. They were open. Guys' feet were set, in rhythm. Everything the coaches would draw up, and then they just missed them. Against Phoenix, some stuff was off balance. There were too many off the dribble. There weren't enough open catch and shoots. There were, for a long stretch of the game, there were no corner threes. I think they had three in the first half. Everything was above the break, which, because how Phoenix plays, David Locke was on our air yesterday saying, and, and uh, he'll join us later today, but he was on another show. He's on the big show. Um, he said, hey, it's, uh, it's going to be about above the break threes. That's what Phoenix, that's what they're going to be able to get, and they got to make them. And they didn't. Um, but you got to give credit to Phoenix. <clears throat> they switched a lot of stuff, and that over time, we know that's bothered the Jazz. And there was a lot of pressure. They really got into guys. They extended their defense, with, and then were able to collapse on Rudy in the middle and take away drives from other guys as well, and then get back out to shooters. And even if they couldn't get to shooters, they got the passing lane so that guys weren't hit in rhythm. 
you know, you can get the ball out to them, but you can't throw it right to them and hit them in rhythm. You got to throw it to the left or right. They're moving. They're not as comfortable. It's a small, subtle thing, but Phoenix was very good at it. And so I thought the Jazz did not get the quality of three pointers. The numbers looked the same, and they shot it very poorly. But the difference is the Dallas shots, they had great shots. Here they had mm, okay to fair shots, not great. And you can still make them. You can make some tough threes. And Donovan Mitchell made a difficult three, a very difficult three to get uh, with 10 seconds left in regulation to get the Jazz to overtime. <laughs> it was like, man, he's got it. I mean, there's just no, you know, there's an it factor, and he's got it. <clears throat> so, you know, the good and the bad there competed really well, defended really well, made runs. I thought they had a couple chances to really seize momentum early in the fourth quarter. Still a lot of time left. Seized that momentum early in the quarter, and they made some silly mistakes. Donovan took a bad shot. He patted himself on the chest afterwards, but he drove and threw it up in traffic and hit the bottom of the rim, and the Suns had a fast break the other way. Jazz has got to rebound better, um, and they can't get beaten transition like they did against Phoenix, and they certainly have to find a way to get open threes and make them. You know, it's easy to get those looks against Orlando, and there's no pressure, so you make them. In the, in the postseason, the defense is going to be better, the athletes are going to be better, and it's going to be harder to get those shots. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, we know what their marching orders are and what they have to change. And first things first, uh, Damian Lillard's coming in off a 2-for-14 performance shooting the ball. He loves to play in Utah. He's a Weber State guy. It's his second basketball home away from home. He, um, I think he gets worked up to go back to Oakland, too, where he played his high school ball. Now he doesn't go to Oakland. He goes to San Francisco now. But he gets worked up to go to the Bay Area, and he gets worked up to come to Utah because he's got roots in both places. So we'll see how that game goes tonight. Uh, intrigued to see if the Jazz are going to have a three-game win streak. We, we spotlighted this week as a big week, these three games, and now the Jazz are going to go 1-2 and two or 0-3. Oh and three. and uh, they, they played a lot. I mean, they, they played a lot of minutes, played really hard. Um, you know, Chris Paul – Played 43 minutes, and it'll be interesting to see if they even let him play against the Clippers tonight. They cannot have him hurt his hamstrings, be out in the playoffs. He's too critical. He was so good in the fourth quarter. I think he had 16 points in the fourth quarter. He was really good, and they need him. Every, well, not every time. He went to the bench three times, and two of the three times the Jazz went on a run. I didn't think they really capitalized on it in the second quarter. But the first and third, it was noticeable. The momentum just quickly changed when he went out, and he had to come back in to stop runs. And I, I wonder how many minutes they can play him down the stretch and in the playoffs here because we've seen his body give out, and for one reason or another, he's had injuries and had to leave games and leave series. I think he left the Jazz Clippers series uh, four years ago. Um, no, he got hurt in that Rockets uh, Warriors series he was in, and there have been a couple other Clippers series he's gotten hurt in as well. So it's an issue, and he played a lot of minutes. But everybody did, and I, I think there'll be some tired legs against the Blazers tonight. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, a little golf gets ready for the Masters. It's starting today, and uh, Bob Casper and Brian Taylor on Real Golf Radio Saturday mornings. They alternate the coming on every day, and we talked to Brian uh, yesterday, and we'll replay that interview for you, his thoughts on all our picks, who's going to win. Uh, and then we'll get to uh, Bob live later in the show today. All right, but a little golf next, a few early risers, and then the best of the Jazz postgame show. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, it's DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, the Masters, starting today, well, Eastern Time Zone, they get to get going a little earlier than we do here, Uh, and we'll get you Masters updates as the uh, day progresses, but right now, to look ahead to what's going to happen over the next 72 holes, here's Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio, he and Bob Casper on every Saturday morning here on the Zone Sports Network, BT with PK and I on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This You Into Golf Masters update with Brian Taylor is brought to you by Mountain Land Supply, Zions Bank, Hoops Vision, Siegfried and Jensen, and Black Desert Resort. Now, here's Real Golf Radio's Brian Taylor. Brian, welcome in. Thanks for joining us. We're ready to talk some golf. But first, I want to talk food. <laughs> So we've heard the promo. If you didn't hear the interview live, and you were talking with uh, with Scotty and Hands about uh, DJ and the pigs in a blanket. Once upon a time, doing radio a long time ago, and I I think it was in the early days with PK, but it, it might have been way back with Gordon and Ron Boone. But whatever, somehow it was DJ. What would you order with the Masters? And I had a few of my favorite foods, and somebody said that sounds like what you get at Chuckarama, and everybody had a good laugh at my expense. I couldn't help but listen to that and say, pigs in a blanket and lobster? I took a lot of grief for a lot more. But does DJ take any grief for that? Or once you have the green jacket, it's like you're, uh, you're grief-proof, you're bulletproof. You can order whatever you want. Pigs in a blanket yeah. and lobster? Yeah. Where in America would you get that other than the champion's dinner at Augusta? <laughs> I, I would say that's probably one of the more casual items on maybe the uh, most prestigious dinner in sports, right? I mean, pigs in a blanket. I mean, that. By the way, I was, if it was back in the, uh, the, the Gordon Monson and Ron Boone era, I was probably producing that show. So uh, yeah. there's probably some tape of that somewhere. But <laughs> any, anyway, I, yeah, I mean, Pigs in a Blanket, the way I grew up, was, uh, was about as rudimentary as you could get. You'd pop open the old Pillsbury dough tube, you know, make the pop, and then wrap, that, wrap a hot dog in one of that, that dough and, and bake it for 15 minutes or something. That's Pigs in a Blanket. From what I was able to see from the uh, posts from the Masters is, Apparently, it was kielbasa in a puff pastry, which is a, a bit of a stretch for what I would call pigs in a blanket. It looked a whole lot fancier than than that. But but yeah, I mean, leave it to DJ, right? I mean, he, he DJ loves the sandwiches. Uh, there was a video of him last week making up his own version of a pimento cheese and and how he likes to do it and and that type of thing. So you know, he if it was up to DJ, he'd probably just as soon uh, serve serve some plain master sandwiches out there at the dinner. But that that I mean, he's a He's a southern guy. He's a casual guy. He's a pretty simple dude, and and he's just you know he he doesn't need a whole lot to be happy. Yeah, that's the essence. Uh, Golf Digest had a big story on him, and that was the whole essence of him. It's just golf, and he took that mindset, and he's been able to play better. It's a big story about Mike Weir. I think Feinstein wrote it too. If you should get Golf Digest, which I do, so I read it the other day, talking about Mike and his life, which we've chronicled here. As far as Dustin Johnson goes, in my mind, I want to get your opinion of this. In my mind, to me, if he's on, now you got to be on, obviously, but if he's on, he is the best player in the world, and he will win it. 
Well, it's hard to argue with that, you know. I mean, especially right now. You know, we, we've had conversations around this. If you took, you know, these players at their best, all with their A game, who would you pick? And it's an interesting discussion. I think a lot of us, a lot of us point to Rory McIlroy when we're having those conversations, but Rory's out of sorts a little bit right now. So um, that doesn't mean he can't get it back this week or he hasn't able to find something, but he kind of went down that uh, rabbit hole chasing Bryson and got lost, uh, didn't leave the breadcrumbs, as Bryson talked about, that, that he left uh, when, when he went down that hole to make sure he could get back out if he needed to. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Dustin Johnson is is um, is an amazing talent. The fact that he's only won two majors is a bit of a head scratcher. I mean, he's he's, pro- he's not probably he is the most consistent player in the last two decades on the PGA Tour with at least one win every single year. It's phenomenal what DJ's been able to do with his career, and yet I don't think he's even peaked. That that's the that's the amazing thing about DJ is I don't think anybody that follows the game would suggest that DJ has peaked, and so. I I think I think he has a a lot more to win and and could be a, a Phil Mickelson type player that wins the Masters you know later in his career and ends up having a, a whole major career you know late late in his 30s and into his 40s. Most people love to sink and guess. I'm going to give you a chance to sink and guess. Are you ready? I want to okay. I want to rip right through these. I want you immediate reaction, very quick. Just jump in. We have a, a Masters draft with Bob. It's three rounds, three guys, nine players, females off the board. He's a local guy. Everybody knows him. Everybody wants him to win. So he's everybody's pick. So he's the 10th guy, but we can't draft him. Okay, so here's a nine. Quick reaction. Are you ready? Yep. Justin Thomas. Pick him. Jordan Spieth. Pick him. Bryson DeChambeau. I don't pick him. D, uh, Dustin Johnson, you've already talked about. John Rahm. Yep. Rory McIlroy. Mm, question mark. Xander Shoffley. You pick him. Patrick Cantley. Mm, question mark. Patrick Reed. Question mark. <laughs> There's our nine. So uh, Bob took Justin Thomas right out of the gate. I took Jordan Spieth and PK hit DeChambeau. And then the second round, it was uh, Bob <laughs> with DJ. I took Rom and PK took Rory. And then Bob finished up with Xander and I took Cantley and PK took Reed. So who's going to so win? pretty much... I pretty much said uh, PK was questionable on every one of his picks. Let me let me just say this, PK. Um, Bryson has finished his lowest finish was as an amateur, and he tied for twenty first. He's never had a top twenty five finish as a professional. I I just don't know if he's you know. And look, Phil Mickelson it took him a long time to figure out Augusta, and he was a much better player than DeChambeau. I just think there's a combination that you have to figure out. There's there, there's power, sure, power is important, but. The, the thing that surprises me so much is that as the, for as all the scientific approach that, that DeChambeau takes to the game of golf, um, like driving and distance itself is probably the least most important thing when it comes to Augusta. I mean, I, I don't want to minimize it. It helps. But he's, figured, he's trying to figure out how to take it over the trees out of bounds on one and draw it over the bunker to leave himself a little wedge shot when he really needs to be figured out, where do I need to leave it, in what spots to attack, which areas of the green, and, and where not to miss it. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to, you know, over the years, I was, I was privileged to sit with Billy Casper at Augusta, and we're watching on the monitor, and, and him describe, you know, different areas and different shots. And, you know, and, and that's why I love Justin Thomas and, and his chances, because what he's essentially do, did is he found, is he, in his words, I, thought I was lucky enough to be in that group with Tiger and Fred Couples, in these practice rounds. And so he says, I just follow him around like a puppy dog. 
if they drop at a certain spot and they hit chip shots, as soon as they're done, I walk over and drop in that same spot and hit chip shots. If they're putting from over here, I walk over and putt from over there. And so it's helping him to learn and understand and figure out this unique combination about the golf course. So, I, I look, I don't falter for picking Bryson DeChambeau. The guy's number five player in the world, and he's a reigning U.S. Open champ, and you know he's got ten, uh, distance for days, and, and certainly maybe there's something up his sleeve, and he breaks through and wins, and nobody would discount that. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's an ama- he's a great, great player, world, world player. But it just – and, by the way, he, he's coming in a little more humbly to the Masters this, this time than he did back in November when he popped in with a lot of bravado and, and kind of got shot down. So, um, but, but he is an interesting one. And, and the fact that when I look at trends for the Masters, he's not necessarily trending in a way that I would suggest he's ready to win there. Right. But you've got to understand, Brian, I pick last. I'll let the other guys have it. That somehow I've been slotted. That's last, which is the story of my life, obviously. I'm assigned last. And two years ago, I picked Tiger, and nobody picked him. So it, it's sweeter Man. when I win. You know, anybody, oh, I'm going to take Dustin Johnson. I'm going to take Justin Thomas. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. Okay. I mean, those are obvious. I got to go off the beaten path a little bit. And what I think is going to make the difference is – Earlier in the week, Bryson DeChambeau was on the range, and standing next to him was Vijay Singh. And I once was in the same workout room at the JW Marriott in Vegas with Vijay Singh early on a Saturday morning. The two of us were in there. He had his personal trainer. I was wearing, of course, a a sleeveless tank top, and we both worked out together. And Vijay told Bryson, and I think this is the key, he told him that he wasn't swinging hard enough. He was swinging too easy. So he's going to swing harder, and that's going to make the difference. He's not going to have to go over any trees because he's going to hit the ball so freaking hard, he's going to go through the trees. So if I'm connecting the dots here, somehow with VJ standing on the range next to Bryson and the fact that you worked out in a tank top with he and his personal trainer at the J-Dub some time ago, that is going to all come together in the cosmos and he's going to be wearing a green jacket at the end of the week. I'm following You're you. Focus like a laser. You totally understand this story. I know. I, I can't believe I missed it in the beginning. I should have never underestimated you, PK. My, my apologies right off the bat. Yes, he was down there to play – in the Vegas tournament, and I was down there to go to a Jimmy Buffett concert that night. And there it is, Jimmy Buffett. I, I mean, I'm, I'm smacking myself in the head. What am I thinking? And Jimmy's long off the tee himself, so. <laughs> <laughs> Which surprises me because he's more of a laid-back fella. You'd think he'd be, uh, you know, kind of a you know, little softer off the tee with all that laid-back stuff. <laughs> Let me just fill you in on one detail on PK's whole story there. He does pick third. He volunteered to pick third. He was laying a trap. He wanted to go three. <laughs> he picked Tiger. Tiger wasn't, if you remember, it's not like Tiger won eight times on tour going into that. And mm-hmm. Bob had pumped Tiger up forever. It was a total trap. He took Tiger. Tiger won. And PK just roasted. I mean, he just tortured <laughs> poor Bob. It was a thing of beauty. It was a work of art. He's playing the victim now. But I'm telling you, sly like a fox, he knew what he was doing all along. Let's let Bob go first. He's the guest. And so Bob does go first all the time. And I go second because PK knows I don't know what I'm doing. And so he'll probably get his guy a third anyway. And then he gets to play the victim and win. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> and then that night when Tiger... Tiger went when he won. 
I went and bought a tiger hat, a tiger shirt, and I had black pants, and I looked like Tiger. I uh, did my Tiger impression that night on Channel Two. Yeah, no, you had it right the first time. You do look like Tiger. I mean, I mean, just from that workout all those years ago. <laughs> nice. Tiger, nice. Yeah. <laughs> hey, on a serious note about DeChambeau, though, I'm flicking around yesterday and I hit some of ESPN's master coverage. Right, they got Andy North down there with Scott Van Pelt, and they're talking about a bunch of stuff. And then they go to DeChambeau, and they've got video of him on the range. And he's calling for a golf ball. I mean, it looks like straight out of the movies, right? You're going to try to hit 10 in a row over the water. I mean, is it just tin cup and you're Kevin Costner? And he's putting it down, he's teeing up, and he is lashing. It looked like a boxing workout. He is just like sweats flying off him. Like like he's into Patrick Ewing all-time sweating territory. I'm starting to sweat, and I'm just sitting in a chair watching TV. And they come back to Andy North, and Andy North is laughing, and Andy's like, I love that. He didn't actually love it. It entertained him. He didn't love anything about it. And, you know, he's got all the worries you think he might have. But it entertained him. He wants DeChambeau to do well. You can tell he thinks it's a story and he thinks it's interesting, but he also thinks it's not the way to go. Is I mean, we all saw Tiger. We heard people say Tiger's body is going to break down. And then Tiger's body did break down. Is it just inevitable? Are we just counting the weeks and the months until DeChambeau does? Yeah, I mean that that's been the question. I've I've heard it mentioned on Golf Channel, ESPN, you know, amongst everybody is saying, you know, is that sustainable? Is going that hard sustainable because golf is much more of a marathon, you know, type career than a than than a sprint. I mean, you you know, guys play for a couple of decades out there or more. And um yeah, you know, I look at Brooks Kepka. Maybe we'll talk about him, but I mean, Brooks is playing this week and he had knee surgery three weeks ago, right? I mean, you know, that, that's as fit of a guy as you could have. Tiger, you know, when, when his book came out in, the, in 2000-ish, like The Way I Play, or I think is what it was called, he talked about snapping the left knee in order to generate power. And, you know, he's had a dozen, half a dozen knee surgeries on that knee because of that, that motion. And, you know, there, and yet he was real wiry back then too. And then everyone's everyone's lifting and bulking, and and I'm not going to suggest that's not the way to go. But it it is interesting to me when you just sit back and look at it. The Phil Mickelson, you know, sort of the anti Tiger, the anti Deshambo. You know, he he's the one that's been able to stay healthy this whole time, and he has more of a long, fluid, more lanky style golf swing than the loaded up and go all after it. Now, now Phil has been chasing it. He's got his coffee workout, and he's losing weight, and he's, you know, he's trying to chase speed and quote-unquote hit bombs. I get it. And that's, that's just that's Phil bravado. But at the end of the day, he's got a fairly smooth swing, and he's been able to have a, a, a nice long career. So can DeChambeau sustain it? It doesn't seem like it. I mean, just watching that, my back hurt like most people. Um, and that was a drill, by the way. I watched him again this morning, early this morning on the range, and he was swinging much more controlled, more normal-looking golf swing than that. That was a speed drill that he does, and it certainly was for effect. Uh, and I thought Han's comment was, was – and Scott, Scott Gerardo's comment was great. He's just kind of trying to get in everybody's kitchen with all that, you know, and get in their heads like he did with Rory. But um, I, I can't think that that kind of going hard at it with a golf swing – your body's just not made to do the things a golf swing does. And so the harder you go, the – I think the shorter your career is. Okay, but so what? If he has 14 majors and 80 wins and he's done by 38, doesn't he? every single PGA golfer sign up for that and say oh, 100%. absolutely? 100%. But I don't – I mean, like I said, you know, it, today, 
to this point, the results aren't there. Yeah, he blew the field away at Wingfoot. That was that still is a head scratcher, by the way. Um, and Rory came out and, and tried to talk that away with you know, hey, the longer wedges, you know, and he comes in so steep, he's able to get more um, more angle into the rough and be able to create more more uh, more speed through the ball out of that rough, which you know that type of thing. But so okay, maybe he unlocked something there, right? That particular week. But but to me, I don't. I mean, I don't see him going out there week in and week out dominating the field. There's players that are taking a much more conservative approach that are being more successful and more consistent. So to me, it hasn't proven to be the thing yet. Uh, and and by the way, I, I, it has proven to screw up one of the best drivers of the golf ball in in recent history in Rory McIlroy. So I don't think it's something that everyone's going to completely jump on board with. But I do think that younger players now, I mean, it, there's there's got to be something to say. Hey, hit it as hard as you can. We'll figure the rest out later. I do think that's a bit of a of a change in philosophy as opposed to figure out how to hit it straight and then we'll we'll lengthen the swing and increase the distance. So it, that that part of it, I think, is is definitely a change. All right, your guy. You didn't draft with us, but you know you do want to call your shot. So if you got anything, anybody, because we draft these nine guys, but honestly, more tournaments than not, and we, only, we just do it for the majors, more often than not, though, the winner is not one of the nine guys, so maybe we didn't even mention it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you, you know, I think John Rahm's an interesting story to watch this week. You know, he's he, his wife, and he just had their first baby, and he's, you know, he was fourth in 2018. Um, he shot 66 there. In fact, I think he holds the record for the lowest last 54 holes at 14 under. I mean, the guy has, um, you know, he, he has a ton of talent and he's, he's had top tens in, in three starts there. So he's a guy that, you know, maybe he's coming off this refreshing new feeling that happened. Danny Willett described that after he, when he won that his wife had just had a baby prior to coming. So he's kind of one that maybe doesn't, isn't getting talked about as much. Uh, I think Xander Schauffele is an interesting case. Um, you know, he's playing in his fourth Masters, and he has made 25 birdies back in 2019. The last time it was played in April, he made 25 birdies. That's tied for the second most in Masters history with Phil Mickelson there. Jordan Spieth with 28 is the, is the leader. So I think there's a guy that's shown, look, he, he's played here three times. He knows how to make birdies. He's kind of figured out some of the combination of Augusta National. So I think I think Xander and Rahm are a couple of guys that, that you might want to pay attention to this week. And uh, out, outside of that, I really think the favorites are 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 there for a reason. And um, the, the most interesting story to me uh, that could probably come out of this, outside of maybe Spieth winning another one, would be super popular. Dustin trying to defend. That's only happened three times. Uh, but Rory McIlroy is now um, trying for the career Grand Slam for the seventh time. He's also trying to win it in his 12th attempt. Adam Scott, Phil Mickelson, Ray Floyd all won on their 12th attempt. I think that would be a big story as well uh, for the game of golf. So those are those are the storylines that I'm excited to watch. And then, of course, if if Finau can continue his form there at the Masters would be would be fun. But with all of those things converging, and then Brooks coming in and he's going to basically try to play on one leg like Tiger Wood did in 08. I think it's a, this is going to be a super compelling week. I think it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. All right. Well, we got a break now. Pigs in a blanket for everyone. I like it. And if you're going hand style, he wants it uh, sausage wrapped in a pancake dipped in maple syrup, which, by the way, sounds pretty darn good right now. It really does. All right. Thank you. We appreciate it. And we'll hear you Saturday morning, Real Golf Radio, you and Bob Casper uh, every week. Appreciate it, guys. Always good to be with you. All right. There he is. Bob Taylor joining us. 
Bob Taylor. Brian Taylor joining us. He and Bob Casper uh, alternate all week long and get us our Masters updates right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, that gets you ready for the Masters playing out over the next four days in Augusta, Georgia. Coming up next, the Jazz and the Suns, the best of the postgame show. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz struggle to make three-pointers, and they don't rebound the ball very well. And they fall to the Phoenix Suns in overtime. Good game. Felt like a playoff game. Looked like a playoff game. Uh, but the Jazz got beat. Now, <clears throat> in the playoffs, you get a chance to bounce back, make adjustments. Of course, the regular season, you don't get that. It's on to the next game, back-to-back against a Portland team that didn't play last night while the Jazz were going OT. All right, let's get to Jake now and the best of the postgame show. Sure, Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. Jazz fell in overtime to the Suns last night, 117 to 113, despite 41 points from Donovan Mitchell uh, in the effort, including a, a game-tying three that sent the game into overtime, but the Jazz ran out of gas in the OT period and come up just a bit short. Bogdanovich had 20 points last night. Rudy Gobert with 16 points, 18 boards, and three steals. Uh, Jordan Clarkson had 11 coming in off the bench as far as the Suns go. Devin Booker had 35, but it took him 31 shots to get there. 13 of 31 from the field. He did go 9 of 10 from the line. Chris Paul was great. He had 29 points on 12 of 24 shooting. He also had 9 assists and uh, certainly some really clutch plays in the fourth quarter and overtime. Let's get you some postgame sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. First up we'll have Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, uh, pretty poor first half from you guys, um, just in terms of scoring a season low, 40 points, uh, only four assists to the break. What enabled you to kind of turn it around? I mean, you almost match your scoring total in the third quarter alone. Well, I, I think, you know, we, we didn't come out as aggressive as we needed to, um, not just with the ball, but, you know, running, spacing, um, you know, we weren't, we weren't attacking. They were, they were dictating to us uh, on the defensive end. I thought as the game progressed, um, you know, we started spacing and, and really attacking off the pick and roll and opened some things up for ourselves. But, um, you know, they're a good defensive team. And, you know, we, we weren't as dialed in as we needed to be um, in order to attack them. And obviously, you know, we had some shots, but um, sometimes made shots bail you out. And we just needed to be better, and, and we were as the game progressed. Chris and Kenny, Jazz TV. Coach, what allows Donovan to be that leader, that playmaker down the stretcher when he's needed most? Well, you know, he's competitive, and, you know, I think he's confident. And those are times that, you know, he's able to generate good looks. And, you know, again, when, when the game's on the line, you know, he's, that's what he's trying to do. That's what he's done. And, um, you know, he did, he did that tonight. Tony Jones, the athletic. 
Coach, what are, what's your assessment of you, uh, your crunch time minutes tonight uh, on both ends of the floor? And um, obviously, um, you know, are you not happy with the second chance points that you guys surrendered, you know, throughout the entire game? Well, yeah, that's that's something that we, we, we know is um, going to be a challenge at times. Um, particularly if, if you know Rudy's switching on to one of the guards to contest a shot and make a play. Um, you know, Aiden's big down there. There was a few that um, we were trying to jump with him. Um, there's a few others that, you know, were long rebounds, loose balls we didn't come up with. But, you know, as much as anything, you know, giving a team second possessions late in the game in crunch time is, is hard to overcome. Next up, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. When given how competitive this game was, did you feel like you can take a lot from it in, in that, uh, you know, this is going to be a, a kind of playoff style matchup? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I think both teams were looking at the game from, from that standpoint. And, you know, you, you do, you know, the, the competition is, is what allows you to, to get better. We'll certainly look at this and, um, pick up some big picture things as well as some of the smaller things and various plays. But um, it's good to be in games like this. Obviously, you know, you would have hoped that it turns out the other way. Um, but as you said, I think these are the types of, of games you want to be in. You want to feel what it's like to be in them. You want to figure out how you can win them. David James, KTV. Quinn, that was really an intense game. And then you had the five extra minutes at the end of it. You got to travel and play the Blazers back to back. Do you alter the rotation here and kind of account for all the energy that's spent tonight or is it full steam ahead? Well, you know, probably both. You know, it's definitely, it's got to be full steam ahead. There's, you know, there's no other way to go on that. And as always, you know, we need contributions from everybody. Um, particularly, there's a lot of back to backs this year, obviously. And, um, you know, we expended a lot of energy tonight, but um, we have to be ready to go tomorrow. There's Quinn Snyder after his team fell in overtime to the Suns, 117 to 113. Let's move on to the players. Let's start things off with Donovan Mitchell. First question, David James, KUTV. Donovan, what do you learn from a game like this that you can take going forward if you run into these guys in the playoffs again? What do you know about the Suns? I think this is the fourth time we've played in the season, if I'm correct, if you include preseason. And they've, they've, you know, they've done the same thing as far as, you know, being aggressive, using playing to their strengths, you know, being physical. Um, and we, this game, I think we did a, a better job of, what am I saying? A better job of playing through it and, and getting and finishing and running. Um, I think the biggest thing that, that hurt us at the end, you know, was rebounding. Um, I, mean, I don't know what the actual numbers are. 38 to, and I'm sorry, 70, 16. Like that's, that's huge. You know, I don't know how many points they got off of it, but, you know, I think we got to get in there and, you know, it's just when the bigs go out and contest those mid-range jumpers, we got to get in there. But then sometimes it's tough. You know, at the end of the day, I'm 6'3", and, you know, DeAndre is seven feet. But, you know, it starts before jump, starts before before that. You know, you got to crack and get into his legs. We can't jump, but, you know, we got to win those 50-50 balls, long rebounds. I think that's what really separated the game. Um, for for uh, for them, Kristen Kenny and Jess TV. Donovan, what does it say about you guys as a team that you can still stay in the game and battle down to the wire like you did when you didn't have your best shooting night? Um, I think you know, like I said, we we know what we can be. You know, we know we we have work to do as well. But you know, there's definitely 
instances where it's like we look at, we didn't really shoot the three ball all that well, you know, and I think for us, just finding ways to continue to improve, play through physicality, find ways to continue to, to play when we kind of woke up and shots started to fall. If we can continue that same energy in the first quarter, uh, first half, um, just being able to play play through that and understand that you know, they're going to be nights like this. We haven't shot the ball well the past two nights, you know, and, you know, two totally different games, in my opinion. You look at tonight, with you were right there, you know, um, a few rebounds away. Um, and then last game, you know, we were down by 20 at one point. You know, we responded the right way, but we had to do it throughout the, the course of the game, in my opinion. Eric Walden, Sully Tribune. John, you guys have been a great third quarter team all season, but tonight it was kind of an even more extreme example. 40 points in the first half, 38 in the third quarter. Uh, what flipped the switch so dramatically? Uh, 40, 40 points in the first half, 38 we gave up. Sorry. No, you you guys scored 40 in the whole first half. Oh, you scored 38 in the third alone. I think, you know, just attacking, you know, attacking and seeing, seeing the ball going. Um, just trying to set a tone, you know, for myself, getting out in transition, finding guys, um, guys getting into the paint. You know, we, we found something in the third quarter that kind of we ran with the rest of the game. And I think that was really the biggest difference. Um, just being aggressive, you know, just getting out in transition and doing our thing. Um, but at the end of the day, this, that was playoff basketball. You know, it's not always going to be 60-point halves, 70-point halves. They're going to be halves like this. Um, you know, we just got to continue to – to, to fight through, and, you know, we did in the third quarter and the fourth, but even over time, you know, and like I said, we're a few rebounds away. Tony Jones, The Athletic. Do you, do you think it took too long for you guys offensively to diagnose what they, what they were doing against you defensively? I mean, once you guys did, you guys got comfortable and it was fine, um, but it took a long time for you guys to, to, to kind of get comfortable. Um, yeah, I think I think there was the first half, like you said, you're talking about offense, right? Offensively, that was said. Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing was just playing through that physicality, getting down transition, running, you know, being able to run the space. You kind of ran and loaded the side, and it's tough to attack that way. Uh, when three guys are on one side, you know, it's easy for them to shift, being able to find ways to get into the paint, pass the shoes. Um, we definitely, you know, found that in the second half. It's not always going to be uh, pretty, but, you know, we got to find a way to do that through the jump. We knew – what to expect with their physicality and, and their um, and their defense coming into it. And, you know, we got to go out there and, and find a way to continue to do that from the jump, you know, as opposed to waiting. Um, even with waiting, we're there. Um, but, you know, like you said, we continue to, to start games off the way we have been, you know, the past, I don't know, 10 or so games outside of uh, Dallas. Uh, I think we'll be in good shape. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Don, how does – Poor shooting from three changed the morale uh, of the attack of the offense. Um, it can, it can, you know, deter you from shooting the ball. Uh, I don't think that's the case. You know, you look at, you know, myself. I took twelve. Uh, you know, well, yeah, I took eight. Mike took seven. You know, it can deter you from taking it, but we believe in it. We believe in what we do. Uh, and if the shot's not going, to find a way to get to the line. Find a way to get into the paint. See the ball going. You know. There was times we, we missed easy ones too. You know, and once you see the ball going as a shooter, you know, it, it's, it helps a lot, believe me. And I think that's just something that we just have to understand. And it's not always going to fall. We got to hang our hat even more on the defensive end. And at the end of the day, we give up 51 points in the first half. You know, it's 25 point quarters, whatever, or 26. Um, but I think that's that's something that we can hang our hat on. We'll be able to guard, even when the shot's not falling, you know, down 11 to come back and continue to shoot through, you know, the misses. Um, 
So, yeah. Last question, follow up from Chris and Kenny. So you had a, you had a tough battle on the road tonight. You get another test in less than 24 hours here back home. What are you looking forward to most about tomorrow night? Um, the fact that we get to play another game, you know, you can't really dwell on this loss uh, too much. Um, you know, to go out there and play really, really, a really good team in, in Portland, you know, a hungry team and you know, match their energy and be ready for it. Um, yeah, ready. There's Donovan Mitchell, 41 points for Donovan, eight rebounds, three assists in uh, in the losing effort. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, it did hit the three that sent the game into overtime. And really, uh, Donovan uh, pretty much single-handedly kept a minute in the fourth quarter. And a uh, big-time effort from Donovan. He was clearly out of gas in the overtime period. He'll uh, We'll see how much he's got in the tank for tonight's game against Portland. Uh, let's now hear from Boyan Bogdanovich. All right, we'll start with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Going on, not the shooting game that the team wanted. A lot of offensive rebounds allowed to Phoenix, and yet you guys fall by three on the road in overtime. Uh, what do you ultimately take away from a game like this? I mean, I think we played a solid defense once again, but it's tough to win the game, especially in a road when you're shooting 20% from the three, for the three collectively. So... So great, great game. I mean, playoff, playoff type mentality. But uh, like I said, it's tough to win when you're shooting 20% from, from three. Chris and Kenny, Just TV. So when you guys are shooting like that, um, what is the best way to address it? Are you having conversations about that in the huddles? I mean, we have to, we have to keep shooting. I mean, that we are, we are one of the, one of the teams that is shooting the best percentage and, 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 and we are shooting the probably the, the highest number of, of threes in a, in, in a whole league. So we got great shooters. We have to, we have to stay, stay confident and keep, keep taking those, those three, even, even they are not, not getting in right now. Ben Anderson, kslsports.com. Boy, on you've strung together five pretty good games now. Does it feel like something has switched from earlier in the season? Can, can you repeat? I didn't hear the question. Sorry. Yeah, you've strung together five pretty good games in a row now. Uh, does it feel like things are coming together a little bit better than they were earlier in the year? I mean, every every single game is going to be is going to be tough right now. Every team is fighting for the. Either for playoff or, or playoff positions, we got a we got a tough one tomorrow, right away against against Portland at home. So we got to get rest and, and and get ready get ready for tomorrow. We have to forget this one. David James, KUTV. What did you guys try to do to improve the rebounding over the course of the game? Obviously, they ended up rebounding it by sixteen, and they had sixteen offensive boards. I mean, we all gotta gotta get. To the rebounds, I mean, especially especially me. I mean, I played more than thirty minutes with the with the one one board today. So I gotta be gotta be more aggressive and and, and help my my teammates. Rudy is doing great job on a, on a guarding pick and roll. So we gotta all all get there and, and grab those those long rebounds. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. 
Okay, there was that play with about 30 seconds left where you kind of get the ball open and you you pump fake a little bit and then sidestep on that three. Is that one that you kind of wish you had back and you want to get that up right away? Or I know you have been sidestepping more. Do you feel comfortable taking that shot just as just the same? Yeah, I assume that they're going to run me off the line because it was three three point three point game. So, but yeah, I, sh- I have to. Those are the type of shots that we gotta take right away. It's gonna be it's gonna be a better percentage for us. I was I was hesitant, that's why I, I missed it. So yeah, yeah, we gotta be we gotta be better than those taking take take those right away. Last one, follow up from Kristen Kenny. We're getting so used to seeing Donovan just take over at any point, at any moment. For you, do you guys expect it now and then also how would you describe when he's in that mode he's in that mode all his career so it's not just just tonight he's been he's been our leader our best player so of course that the, the, the ball and at the end of the game or overtime is going to go to him and then he's he is great by by making place place either either for for himself or or for for the others tonight he had a he had another great game so i'm I'm sorry that we as a team didn't didn't do better and, and get those Ws for him as well. There's Bogdanovich had 20 points on 8 of 17 shooting, but uh, struggled from 3, 1 of 8 uh, from behind the line. And uh, you heard him mention there, only one rebound. Jazz got crunched on the boards uh, uh, last night. Uh, let's see here, 61 to 45, including uh, 16 to 7 on the offensive glass. Got to be better getting those rebounds. And uh, Bogdanovich always obviously pointing the finger at himself. Uh, let's wrap things up with Rudy Gobert. Hey, Rudy. We'll go ahead and get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. So um, Phoenix obviously had a big advantage on the glass tonight. What is, you know, what can you guys do going forward to kind of cut down on the amount of offensive rebounds that are being allowed? I think we just got to, you know, rebound. It's all about wanting to get in more than the other team. So sometimes there were a lot of, you know, a few long rebounds that are, you know, some of these is going to happen in the game, but I think there was a lot of them also that, uh, you know, uh, we could have, we should have got. And uh, those hurt us, you know, especially when we play good defense and we're about to, you know, force a miss and then they get another possession. And, you know, and those guys are pretty good. So when you give them, you know, extra possessions, um, they're going to make the most of it. Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Coach was saying competition allows you to get better. What did this one show you tonight as far as areas that you can improve on? I mean, I think we we did a pretty good, a very good job defensively for the most part of the game, except uh, a few times when I think we know they get about six six layups, uh, whether we took a bad shot or we turned it over or uh, we didn't run back and we got to clean those up. You know, I think when we when we're about to set our defense uh, and they have to play against half court, um, you know, I think we did a good job, and uh, they still made a few, you know, a lot of contested twos and a lot of tough shots. But you know, I think we did a good job overall, and that's when the rebound is is, is key, and just gotta do a better job, you know. But I think uh, overall we did a you know a good effort defensively. 
There's Rudy Gobert, 16 points, 18 rebounds, three steals, and two assists. But the Jazz lose in overtime to the Suns, 117 to 113. Had to get back on a plane last night, uh, back into town because they're taking on the Blazers tonight at Vivint Arena. That game will tip off at 8 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 7. There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines on the way. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag Utah Jazz. Rebound to O'Neal, 15 seconds left. Hands to Donovan, down three. Donovan pulls for three and the tie. Yes! Ten seconds left. We're tied at 102. Donovan Mitchell does it again. Booker puts it on the floor. 14-foot jump shot. Swish. It's good. Booker. What a game he's having. Booker into the lane. Fakes. Can't get the shot off. Gets it out to Chris Paul. Three seconds. Paul for three. Shazam! And the Utah Jazz fall to the Phoenix Suns in overtime, 117-113. Donovan Mitchell goes for 41 points, but not good enough. Great three to tie, pressure shot, that was big time, but they immediately fell behind in overtime and couldn't make the magic happen and rally a second time. They get beat. PK, that was a great game, but there were some obvious flaws. They did not shoot the three well, and they got crushed on the backboards. Yeah, I thought the rebounding there was the reason, the most significant reason there in the second chance points by the Suns. DeAndre Aiden tapping the ball, getting three opportunities on that one possession late. I thought he was uh, just what the Suns needed and what the Suns haven't had for many, many years is a competent big man being able to do some damage. Doesn't necessarily need to be the star on this team, obviously, with the guards, Chris Paul and uh, I keep wanting to call him Devontae Booker, but Devin Booker. Uh, so you, they they got what they needed out of DeAndre Ayton. And, and those other two guys, obviously, they're going to tr- tr- command all the attention. But watching Suns basketball for 40 years, they can tell you that they've sorely lacked any competent big man to do what they needed him to do, and, and Ayton did that. Ayton gave him 12 boards, 7 offensive. Jay Crowder, the former Jazz man, had 12 boards as well, two of them offensive. Gobert went hard to the glass for the Jazz with 18 uh, but nobody else got to uh, double digits the way Crowder did. Eight boards for Mitchell and uh, eight off the bench for Favors. So the Jazz lose again. That is back-to-back losses, and now the Blazers will try to make sure the Jazz lose three in a row. Jazz are home tonight. Blazers were off last night, so they're rested, and the Jazz are coming off a, an OT game. Coverage starts here on The Zone at 7 o'clock with Jazz Game Night, the pregame show. The game will tip off at 8 o'clock, and we will have more on the Jazz. Got a question up on Facebook here. Um, how are you feeling about the club now after the back-to-back losses? That was a very entertaining game, but uh, <clears throat> the good guys didn't win. So how are you feeling? We'll get to that coming up. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Conley fakes and shoots a three. It's no good. Durant with a rebound and a putback, and it's good for Kevin Durant. And he still hasn't missed a shot tonight. 
Shot clock down to three. Holiday shot fakes into the corner. Can McConnell get it off in time? He does. Oh, and how about that? The most unlikely of sources, T.J. McConnell. Stolen by Anderson. The Hawks not looking good. Off the window to Morant. Highlight time. Throw it down with two hands, young fella. Anderson off the glass. The alley-oop to Morant, and Atlanta has seen enough. All right, there's some games, some highlights in the NBA. The most interesting one, I think, for people in the West was watching the Denver Nuggets beat the San Antonio Spurs. That was a pretty tight game late into the third quarter, and then the Nuggets blew it open. They end up winning by 10, 106-96, but they pushed the lead up higher than that and were, were pretty comfortable in a pretty good spot, PK, as they continue their charge since the trade. Things keep going right for the Nuggets, and they are now 15 games over 500. And that lead that you have been watching so closely in the Northwest Division continues to dwindle. You still feeling good? About the Northwest crown? Yes. Northwest championship? The lead is down to five games now. Five with 21 to go. Yeah, if you can't hold that, you don't deserve to be a division champion. Yeah. And, of course, obviously, for the rest of you who are not watching the division race, the Jazz lead over the Suns is a game and a half. They are four and a half in front of the third-place Clippers. The Nuggets now uh, in fourth, a game in front of the Lakers, who had the night off. So, to the question of, are the Jazz getting everybody's best shot? I think you look at the Dallas Mavericks, and you have to say, well, yeah, obviously. Dallas beats the Jazz, plays really well, looks good doing it, and then they turn around and lose to the Houston Rockets. 102-93, and the Rockets are terrible. Only Minnesota has a worse record. They got the 29th best record. And Luka Doncic was slamming water bottles over on the bench, completely frustrated with how poorly his Mavs were playing. So, yes, the Jazz got the Mavs' best shot, and they didn't seem to have much the next time out. Well, literally best shot. They shot 47% against the Jazz from three, and they shot 25%. That's why I don't think it was the Jazz. I think it was the uh, Mavs. They made 47% of their threes, and then they turned around and, and uh, can't even uh, come close to that against a team that's much worse. The ball went into hoop that game. Good for them, but it didn't go in yesterday, and that's what I said yesterday. If you're playing at Dallas Mavericks and they've got to shoot 47% from three over seven games in a playoff, they're not going to do it. Other scores that uh, you heard the T.J. McConnell hit a big hoop as the Pacers beat the Timberwolves, and he turned around and talked trash to the bench. Okay. He had 19 points and 15 assists. Who? T.J. McConnell. What game are we talking about? (laughs) I have no idea. The Brooklyn Nets. Two of their big three, enough. Kyrie Irving had 24 points. Kevin Durant had 17. Durant uh, playing in his 20th game of the season as the Nets play their 52nd game of the season. Uh, they get the win. They're a half game up on Philly and three games up on the Bucks in the East. Probably need all three of their guys to win it all, I would think, PK, but uh, they can get the top seed and get all the way to the conference final with two of their big three. Maybe they could even win there. So, Well, we'll have to see what Griffin and Aldridge gives them. What, How much are they uh, in the lineup? How much are they playing to be able to say that they can't win it all without, uh, you're speaking of Harden and Irving and Durant? I don't know that. Uh, this team has not been together, so uh, I would just be guessing by saying they probably need this or that because the three of them have barely played together, and then they just added a couple other pieces, So, and they made some trades during the season. So I really don't know. DJ and PK.
Hashtag college basketball. Well, we've been waiting for it, PK, and it finally happened. Sure, if you'd been AD, it might have happened a couple years ago, but now Sean Miller is out. He had one year left on his deal in Tucson. Was he going to lame duck it? Were they going to give him an extension? And they were not going to give him an extension, so make the move now, avoid the lame duck season, and get on with it. Sean Miller is out in Arizona. Sure, yeah, you said it all. Got nothing else to add there. Got any idea who'll get it? Got any of your Arizona sources telling you someone's got an inside track? It's obviously a uh, it's a good-looking job, but you do have you know more sanctions. They self-sanctioned this year, but uh, there could be more sanctions from the NCAA going forward. Miller's departure might lessen those a little bit. We'll have to see how that plays out. Well, Damon Stoudemire, obviously he played there, and he's at Pacific, and this passenger kid who was a walk-on and a loot was a fan favorite, and he's been coaching at Memphis and then at Georgia Tech. He's had some issues he's had to face, and he hasn't been slapped with anything. So that's two former guys there. Uh, and then you've got uh, Luke Walton and then the uh, Democratic uh, National Chairman Steve Kerr. He might be interested but I would think that they would stay in the NBA. So those are four guys in-house, uh, in, in a sense being in-house in that uh, Pastner was a walk-on, but uh, the others obviously were premier players for the Cats. But, yeah, I, th- I think it's a premier job. I don't think that the sanctions are going to be significant uh, uh, three years from now to where they'll still be suffering from that. And what are they going to do, take away some scholarships? But uh, how many scholarships do you really need in uh, college basketball, particularly with all these one-and-dones going around anyway? So, you know, if you have 10, you should be able to field a competitive team because, you know, obviously only five guys play at a time unless they get into where they're banned from the NCAA tournament for Mm -hmm. multiple years. I mean, that's like the most significant thing I could see, but I don't know if that's going to happen particularly with Miller being gone. So it's going to be a job that they can acquire, not pretty much whoever they want, but available to a lot of people. All right, DJ and PK, 97.5, 128 of the zone. Hashtag NFL. I think he's definitely there this year, um, unless they just want to take a hit and not become a really good football team for a year or so. But I think the marriage is not going to end very well going down the road. I think this squabble is going to turn into more of a uh, separation and then a divorce at some point. And, and that usually happens with most most players anyway. You just don't like it to happen uh, because of you know the two sides not getting along. That's Warren Moon, former NFL quarterback, talking about Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. Not the immediate divorce, unhappiness, separation, and then eventually divorce. He's kind of reverencing they wouldn't be a very good team because they would take an enormous cap hit. So until they crawled out from those financial difficulties, it'd be hard to hard to build a good team. So it lingers for another year or two, and then Warren Moon thinks the trade will happen. Uh, I think that I would probably agree with that, particularly with Pete Carroll being 70 years of age and how much longer does he want to do this. Nike has suspended the endorsement deal with Deshaun Watson, reportedly beats by Dre as ending its sponsorship of Watson. 
amid the allegations facing the Houston Texans quarterback. Two other former sponsors, uh, Houston-based Reliant Energy, the supermarket chain HEB. Their sponsorship deals had expired, and they would not, and they decided not to re-up with him. So, the daily Deshaun Watson update right there. Does he have a deal with Massage Envy? Excellent question, PK. I do not know the answer to that, although I suspect it's no. I'm guessing no. Tom Brady told Good Morning America that he realized in Tampa the Patriot way is not the only route to success. He says when you're in one place for 20 years, you think that's the only way. And I think when you go to a different place, you realize, wow, there's another way that people do things. That's a big part of what I understood last year. Things are going to be different. I try to work within what's currently happening, but still try to do the best I could do. All of it was really, really amazing, obviously, with the way the season ended. So it was a great year. Anytime you end up on a boat, Rolling the Super Bowl trophy to someone else in another boat or on a dock. It's a great year. Well, yeah, he clearly was sitting on the dock of Tampa Bay. Sing it. Ohio State slated to have a second pro day on April 14, providing other opportunities for teams, including the Niners, to see quarterback Justin Fields work out in person. Niners GM John Lynch and Coach Kyle Shanahan were not at Ohio State's first pro day because they were in Atlanta to watch Mac Jones' pro day. Working out for the Crimson Tide. San Francisco's picking third in the draft. First two are not just penciled in, but it looks like inked in. So Ohio State trying to make sure their guy has a chance to go number three. Always help your players to the NFL, PK, because that's the message you're delivering and recruiting. So double down on it on the other end of their college career. I think Ohio State has delivered that in spades a million times over. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Hashtag Major League Baseball. And it's swung on, lifted to center field. That's by Taylor. And the A's have cashed in their first win of 2021. Mitch Moreland with a clean single to right center. The A's come all the way back. They beat the Dodgers 4-3. 3-0 Cardinals in the ninth. Here's the pitch. A swing, and there's a high fly ball. Hit deep, right center field, and it's a grand slam! Fastball swung on, a fly ball into left, waiting for a Dickerson. He's under it, and he's got it, and the ball game is over. And the Giants take this series for the Padres, winning in the finale in the rubber match in 10 innings. Giants beat the Padres 3-2. to two. Alex Dickerson driving in the game winner with a Sacrifice fly in the 10th inning. Giants win two out of three there. You also heard the Oakland Athletics breaking through after starting 0-6 and getting outscored by 37 runs. They beat the Dodgers 4-3. A's are on the board, PK. They got a W now, baby. Well, I think the big story there is Jansen blowing a save because obviously he struggled at the end of the last season. And do the Dodgers really have a big full-time closer in the manner that you can count on some of the legendary names. We all know that they've been out there over the years since the closer. It's been about uh, 30 years, 30, 40 years or so where the closer has been super important. Uh, And the Dodgers have a stacked lineup and they got a top-end rotation, but they don't have a back-end closer at the level that they need. So he's, uh, he's, I think he's one for two in save opportunities. So he blew one in the first week of the season. 
Also, the Red Sox, who started 0-3 and were looking awful, just swept Tampa Bay. They won three in a row. Red Sox 9-2 over the Rays. So that was a horrible opener for the Sox, but, well, they're fine now. They're back to 500. They're 3-3. You also heard uh, Dylan Carlson with a grand slam there as the Cardinals beat the Marlins 7-zip. And the Rockies took down your Diamondbacks 8-zip. You covered it. There it is. The Nationals, the Mets, doubleheaders now in June and September to make up the games from their season opening series that was postponed. So if you're in the bullpen and think you're the sixth starter for those teams, well, maybe there's a little opportunity ready to knock for you out there later this summer. DJ and PK. Golf. Mm, Clear your throat first. Let's try that again. Golf. Jim Nance never has to clear his throat, okay? He's got the golden pipe. He knew it was his big moment. His voice was pretty raspy during the national championship game, though. All right, the Masters underway at Augusta National Golf Club. The local guys, Mike Weir, the 2003 champion in the field. Tony Finau in the field. We made our picks, PK. Now it's time for the drama to play out. Play ball. They are. Hudson Swafford is out with two birdies in the first five holes, and he is your early leader on the course. Well, I expected him to get out of the gate fast. You did. Nice. Sturzink has an early birdie. So does Matt Jones. They're just getting going, though. I love early birdies. (laughs) (laughs) Easy over there. All right. Uh... Big group going off at uh, at eight o'clock Mountain Time. The Brook Brooks Kepka Bubba Watson group. One of the uh, some of the big early names going out this morning. DJ, the defending champ from the fall, uh, goes out at eight thirty. So we'll keep you updated. We will talk golf with Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio. He will check in at eight thirty. The Jazz. They fall. Your reaction to the back-to-back losses coming up next. Craig Bullerjack, TV voice of the Jazz at 9 o'clock. And Utah football media availability is coming up at 8 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. When you're as high as Zach Wilson is in this draft, I think a team has contacted him. They might be lying to him, but I would be pretty surprised if he didn't have a pretty good idea where he was going to end up going. Now, these things can change. It's you know, different think- at, at two, though, Gordon, because you've heard the stories in the past of guys who get picked later in the draft. Hey, Denver called me, and they said they're going to pick me. Because mm. stuff happens. You never know. But with the number two pick, like, we're going to take you a number two unless you go one, I guess. And then uh, <laughs> we'll deal with it. But when you're picking number two, that's... That's a little different than if you're around in the seventh, you're going to be a Tennessee Titan. Right, exactly. Catch the big show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, in the Zone Sports Network. Hot takes or toast. Brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Check out the bold new lineup at Jerry Signer Cadillac. It's definitely not your grandpa's Cadillac. All right, time now for the question of the day. Hell of a game, but another loss. And the lead in the loss column is down to one. How you feeling about the ball club? 
PK, I think people are a little queasy right now. A little worried. Okay. The back-to-back losses, and obviously going into a game now with, uh, you know, you played overtime on the road, and you're going back-to-back against a rest of team that's pretty good. DeGiro says, we lost two statement games in a row, and that tells you everything. Statement games, huh? Statement games. Jason says, the Jazz are a good team, but not a serious contender. Gotten a great wow. record beating bad and injured teams, and when it comes down to in the playoffs, the big boys are going to leave the Jazz at the little kids' table. Shane says, well, as Pat Riley once said, no rebounds, no rings. The Jazz have got to find a way to win a rebounding war with this team and not give them so many extra chances. That and hitting more threes than they did. Okay, I can buy that. Daniel says, we beat the crappy teams, no problem. The good teams, not so much. Hector is a little smaller picture. He's not going big picture. Hector says, this sucks. When the threes don't drop, this is the outcome. Fun game, but it didn't feel like the Jazz ever had this one. They were chasing the game most of the way. Early fourth quarter, I thought they had a couple chances to pull away there, and it didn't happen. Oh, they're up by five, and then Mitchell Mm -hmm. missed a three. Yep. And then when the other team comes back and scores, the announcers will tell you the obligatory, that's a five-point swing or six-point swing if the other guy hits a three. You can set your watch by that. That's going to happen. Randy says the Jazz lack toughness. Sick of watching Rudy cry to refs after every player fall to the ground every time he gets bumped. Teams that get physical with the Jazz beat the Jazz. Well, There's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. Well, his whining, yeah. There was one play in overtime uh, where he got hit on the head, mm-hmm. and then the, uh, Aiton beat him down, and somebody, O'Neal, or somebody was forced to foul O'Neal, or uh, Aiton, and fortunately was on the floor, and they weren't in the penalty. But uh, Aiton got down the floor because Rudy was complaining about being hit in the head. So, yeah. The thing about the Suns, though, they're last in free throws, so they're not exactly the most physical team either. I mean, Crowder's added some toughness. But one of the things uh, that I want to hear a lot if I'm playing the, the Suns is Jay Crowder for three. Now, he did hit that big three in overtime. you got to give him credit for that. So, uh, But he's added the toughness. But they're, they're pretty much a finesse ball club. But they did get into the Jazz in the first half and take them out of the offense. I thought they, they got up into them. And, I mean, a 40, when you hold a team to 40 points and a half, any team that's impressive, especially a team that's as good offensively as the Jazz. I just think that's the Jazz missing shots. But I thought that they changed the way they played in the third quarter. It was much more attack, get all the way to the rim. And because Phoenix was overplaying them, uh, they were able to do that. They ran some back doors late in the game. It was one to Conley when Phoenix was anticipating a three, overplaying everything. That was easy. You know, the pressure can be beaten, but when teams get physical they with them. chose not to do it. I know. So, so I don't think that was the Suns. I think that was the Jazz. Jazz need to get another power for it. A guy to go down low for just these kind of games, like a Dantley or Malone, Brian says. They got beat on the boards, but you keep with it and move on to the next game. So what you're telling me is they need another Hall of Famer? Okay, I'll sign on. <laughs> sign on to Hall of Famers. Change the way you play. You got a Hall of Famer. Adapt yeah. to their skill set. Except this is the way they they got this. You know, the, you you dance with who brung you, and this mm-hmm. is the way they play. Now in these games, when the threes aren't uh, falling, you're expecting them to just radically change it. Now Bogdanovich has changed his game. Yeah, to me, the three is nice when it's going in, but just to watch them, I'm not about 
uh, field goals attempted or threes attempted. I'm about threes made. And if threes aren't being made, stop shooting them. Do I want to see Royce O'Neal shoot another three anytime soon? Not really, man. He's over his last ten. I thought that this shooting performance against the Suns was a lot different than the one with the Mavericks. With the Mavericks, they ran their offense. They got the shots they wanted. They were open. Guys' feet were set and all that stuff, and they didn't go in. This one, I thought they, I thought they were shooting contested threes. I thought they were struggling for open shots, and they were forcing them late in the shot clock. And I didn't really think when they shot them that they were going in for the most part. Well, as Ron Boone would say, for the most part, they didn't go in. Jerry says, Jazz laying bricks lately. As they say, you live and die by the three, and right now it's killing them. Jazz can't seem to rise up in prime time when they can gather some attention and get a victory. Frustrating, to say the least. Sure. Yeah. I just, when you're not hitting the three, you're awfully vulnerable. Or they're awfully vulnerable. Or if I'm Locke, we're, we're awfully vulnerable. Whatever pronoun you want to use. Jamie says the Jazz lost another game to an elite team at full strength. Wow, I'm shocked. Ah, oh, the sarcasm coming out now. People getting bitterly disappointed. Well, you here. know, they didn't have Abdul Nader or Frank Kaminsky, so I don't know if they were at full strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob, a little more measured than most people, says they need to make open threes. Not overreacting, though. Plenty of games left. Yeah, but well, most at least four more games that will matter the most. Ah, the playoff games. Yeah. Seen enough of the regular season, you ready to just get there now? Well, if they're going to shoot 25%, I don't care who they're playing. I don't I I just look at the Jazz. I don't really look at the other team. I don't, Dallas made shots good for them. They didn't last night against Houston, they lost. Uh the Suns. Uh, Chris Paul is just absolutely brilliant. Chris Paul Good on him, man. At his age, 43 minutes that he played and 29 points, nine assists. I mean, he controlled the game for a large portion of the time. Uh, and he's a significant difference maker for them. And, you know, that, that little pull-up that he does where he's dribbling and then he squares his shoulders real quick, it's a weapon. Now, it's not the same weapon, but it's a weapon that is unique to him in the way the skyhook was uh, uh, unique to Abdul. And I really haven't seen anybody do what Paul can do to take that, be dribbling, and then boom, square up, and then make that shot. We've seen it a million times. And so he had it going on, and he was just absolutely brilliant. Booker Booker does what he does. Uh, there's scoring opportunities there. Uh, but, you know, 35 points on 31 shots. Uh, you sort of live with that to an extent. Uh, but to me, I look at this, the Jazz, uh, 25%. You're going to shoot 25% with the amount of threes that they take because they're going to take in the high 30s, 40s probably, most games. This was extended a little bit by five minutes, and they had 44 attempts. Uh, And they're shooting 25%. You're not going to win. And they didn't. And there it is. So if they adjust earlier and go to the two and shoot fewer of them, basically if they do in the second quarter what they did in the third, then they can win the game. Give up on the three, attack yeah. the hoop, layup, 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 layup. And they did hit some threes in the third. It started to come around. I think they ended up being four of six. Um, and they got a couple of them late in the quarter. And they, that's when they came back and took the lead. That was a 38-point quarter. 
But that 40-point first half, that is just not even close to good enough. And Bogdanovich can't hit a three to save his life, so I'm pretty much done with it. He was one And I love the way, the yeah. way he's adjusted and wants to take the ball to the basket now. Because you're not, you're not hitting threes, man. And this is, this is a prolonged slump for him from three. So do I want him taking as many threes? No. Probably not. I mean, the, the guys that I really want to are Mitchell and Clarkson's going to shoot him. So uh, he's just going to shoot him. So you're, you're, you, if you start telling him not to, you're really going to curtail his game. And then Joe Ingles. And Joe, Joe only got two, and he made one. I would love to see him get more. But sometimes he's just another guy out there, and they don't really do a whole lot for him offensively. Uh, and Quinn Snyder likes to play O'Neal. I'm not sure what O'Neal contributed. Defense. I mean, he matched up with Booker a lot, and that's why Booker had 35 points on 31 shots. It was... 0 for 6 from 3 himself. He had issues on the three-point shot. Well, is that defense, or is that him missing open threes? I'd have to go back and look at every possession. Honestly, I can't tell you off the top of my head how many of them were open and how many of them were contested. Uh, I thought he got at least one off an offensive rebound that was wide open. I remember that one, and he missed it. Is Joe that much a significant downgrade defensively over O'Neal? Because he's certainly a substantial upgrade offensively. Yeah, I just don't know how many shots he's going to get. He would probably get more in that role. It's pretty, it's pretty much a guess one at this point. One more is better than what O'Neal's going to give you. Yeah, and in an overtime game, one more might be, might be enough. Uh, you know, the games where he really tends to flourish are the games Conley sits, which I assume is what will happen tonight because they've, they've been sitting Conley in the second half, of, or second half of back-to-backs, or at least in one of the games of back-to-backs. Once, I can't remember who it was, but I know there was once they sat him on the front end of a back-to-back. Um, and Conley played 35 minutes with the OT, so I assume he'll sit, and Joe will have a bigger role. Uh, you know, Clarkson's going to shoot, and when he gets the ball, he's, you know, so, sometimes it looks like the Jazz offense and he's moving it, but sometimes it's get out of the way. Clarkson's going to go get a shot. And Joe's on the floor with Clarkson a lot, so if you're on the floor with Clarkson, your shots are going to go down. It's going to happen. That's all the more reason to change it. Yeah. All right, hit us up on Facebook, DJ and PK. On Twitter, David DJ James. Reaction to the Jazz losing. It's a good game. Goes to overtime, but uh, they get beat, and that's two in a row now against uh, quality teams in the West that are headed for the postseason. Taylor says, against solid defenses, we can't get good looks, and our three-point percentage drops. Playoffs are full of good de- defensive teams, and hard to beat. Hard, it will be hard to beat anyone in seven. It's been a fun year. But I still don't see us going farther than the first round. Ooh, wow, that would be a massive disappointment then. Well, especially if they hold on to the top spot because the eighth seed, assuming the Mavericks win that playing game so that they are the seventh seed, uh, it looks like there's a a break between the top seven and the rest of the West. If you're the second seed and you lose to the seventh, that's just still disappointing. Yep. Justin. The Kings, the Blazers, the Grizzlies, and the Suns all have something in common with the Jazz. They had really good teams without actually winning anything of importance. Stop bitching about respect and go earn it by winning. Justin with the NBA history lesson. Who are those teams? 
The Kings, the Blazers, the Grizzlies, and the Suns. I think he's talking about over the last 20 years. He's not talking okay. about this year's okay. Kings. Okay. But, you know, they had the run with the Vlade Weber group. The Blazers couldn't get past the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe. Mike Conley was on some good Grizzly teams, and uh, the Suns obviously had a really good run when they had Nash. Justin says they need some toughness on this team. Getting beat on the backboards like that is a bad look. 16 offensive rebounds allowed is just way too many for the Suns. Uh, Bogdanovich in his postgame comments, we ran him earlier this morning, called himself out because he only had one rebound. You know, there were plenty of missed threes in this game, and there were plenty of long rebounds. So as a guard, you can have more than one. Mike Conley had one. Bogey had one. You can be out on the perimeter and, uh, and get three. Chris Paul got four rebounds, and he's, he's a little guy playing out on the perimeter. There's long rebounds to be chased down. Oh, yeah, but Donovich is a crappy rebounder, though. He, they, always, they ha- he always has been. Remember the game he had a year ago, and they were Zero. talking about his yeah. $35 million stat line? He had like yeah. 35 points, but he didn't have a rebound. He didn't have an assist, didn't have a steal. You got to do something other than shoot. Okay, he well, took... he only had one rebound and no assist in this game. Yep, and no, no steals, steals, no blocks. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> there I mean, it is. That's, that's... He's going to shoot it. For him, he only had one turnover. Uh, and so the Jazz only had 13, which is a, a manageable number. But, uh, yeah, that, I mean, sure, he needs to rebound more, and I need to be less sarcastic, and neither of those are going to happen. <laughs> Clint says, Clint's probably the most positive person posting so far. He says, yeah, the Jazz played like absolute trash and still took them to OT. They'll be fine. It's a small slump. I think most people, Clint, look at the strength of schedule and just can't dismiss it as a small slump. You're right, two losses after nine wins. If you win 9 out of 11 consistently in the NBA, you're in great shape. But it's just bothering Jazz fans that those nine teams, uh, maybe the Grizzlies are in a 1-8 versus eight series, but other than that, there were, uh, there were no playoff quality wins in there. I mean, the Nets have the name, but they didn't have the players that night. So it's hard to dismiss it as a small slump for most people. Clint's doing it, but... You identified as a big week and three playoff teams in a row, and now you're 0-2, and looks like you're at a disadvantage in the third one. We'll see how it goes. Uh, okay, yeah, I can, I can buy that. I mean, I have a, a cause for concern, and I wouldn't say I'm alarmed, but sure, there's, there's cause for concern. I would buy all that. All right, hit us up on uh, Facebook, DJ and PK. Hit us up on Twitter, David DJ James. Blazers tonight, you got any level of confidence in this? Anger, bounce back game, plant your feet, make a stand, all those uh, cliches over time, all those things coaches have said before other games. Uh, I would throw in make shots. Always a positive. Yeah, and what are the Blazers going to do? I mean, on paper, this looks like a difficult task over time, coming back next game, blah, 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 next day. I mean, uh, so I buy all that. Uh, uh, but that's the thing about this team that I said earlier in the week when we were expecting them to lose and maybe not really bury them, but thinking that they're going to lose in this situation, they go up and find a way to get it done. So let, let's see what you got. Uh, you know, if you want to drop a – what does it say about this team if they win – this would be a perfect opportunity to do that because we've lost to well, we know I don't need to repeat it, but uh, we know the situation, and here they are. So uh, I'm excited for this game to see what they can do. Uh, 
in a situation where there's a whole lot of doubt. And, and even if they had a day off, there's, there's some doubt. Because uh, there's just doubt on the team. Uh, for, for the team, against the team, about the team, probably is the best word. Uh, so what can you do? Uh, I'm excited to see. Every, every game is an opportunity to prove. It doesn't matter who the game is, what the game is, but prove. You know, if you're playing a crappy team, prove you can be way better than them and blow them out. And in this situation, this was always going to be a tough game. If they were 2-0, and this would be a tough game. Uh, so the, the toughness of the game, I don't think, has increased. Maybe the ramifications of the outcome have increased as the lead dwindles, but the toughness of the game was always going to be there. So it's up to the players to make sure they're prepared as much as possible. Portland coming in uh, off a loss to the Clippers, 133-116. Portland's lost two of their last three. They're 5-4 and four in their last nine games. They're 12-10 and 10 over 22. It has not been a stellar last six to eight weeks for the Blazers. Um, so... But they are they were off last night after losing to the Clippers on Tuesday, so they got that going for them against the Jazz. But uh, they are another team that uh, everything we've said about the Jazz and the schedule and beating the better teams, you can say all of that about Portland. You look uh, in these last nine games, they, they have uh, lost to Dallas and Brooklyn, and they've lost to the Bucks and the Clippers. So they're losing the playoff teams, and they're, they're beating the Orlandos and Torontos of the world. So they're probably measuring themselves the same way Jazz fans are measuring the Jazz. Hey, you've got to beat some Western Conference playoff teams here. So. Uh, sure, if you want to go anywhere, but I don't think Portland's going anywhere. The Jazz are still the uh, the main story here, and Jeff says, I'm still confident in the Jazz. You shoot poorly, you lose. You give up double-digit offensive rebounds, you lose. This doesn't happen to the Jazz. More often than not, they'll be fine. So how different would it be if the Jazz were 9-2 and two in their last 11 games and had beaten some good teams but had also just unexpectedly lost to some mediocre and bad teams? Just completely oh, about games. That. I mean, the record would be the exact same. Right. Would we have any more confidence in them? Or we'd be worried about their inconsistency and how, you know, sometimes they look really good against good teams, but then they play to the level of the opposition. Well, sure, they're the Jazz, man. They're the number one story in our community. <laughs> so we're going to obsess over them. And anytime they lose a ball game, when you're this good and you've won this many games, you obsess over that loss. And you sort of ride with the win. If it's against a crappy team, eh, well, it's against a crappy team. But they're the Jazz, man. They're the number one story. And plus, they've accomplished absolutely nothing in the postseason that matters. So until you do, there's going to be that doubt. So we would take it for exactly what it's worth. If they beat a crappy team, well, you just beat a crappy team. If you lose, oh, my gosh, the sky's falling. Or somewhere in between, oh, they got this. This is a little mini slump. And everybody's got their emotions. That's the great thing about the Jazz. With the Jazz, all you got to do is turn on the lights and start talking, and people are going to listen because they are the overwhelming story in our community. Always have been, always will be. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Shamrock Plumbing. No job, too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Utah football availability coming up in 15 minutes. We'll hear from the youth linebacker coach Colton Swan. Nephi Sewell scheduled to speak today. Bob Casper 
from Real Golf Radio with the Masters check-in at 8.30 and Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Jazz at 9 here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Brian Taylor joining us, Real Golf Radio. So the appetizer starts with pigs in a blanket. That's delicious. And you got to hand it to Dustin Johnson to put pigs in a blanket on a Masters Club dinner. Like, is there a more prestigious, in all of sports, dinner club? And he goes with pigs in a blanket. And then, oh, by the way, just class up the joint. We're going to go lobster and corn fritters. Look, we all enjoy pigs in a blanket. I just don't know if that's uh, a Masters dinner. That's all. I've got the image of me eating like four of those just before I get into my filet with lobster tail. And how that would be. I like how you're like. Pair well. You're like, hey, bring more of those over here. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Faldo, can I have yours? Yeah. (laughs) I'm hungry. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. When you get the carpets and tile cleaned, it's never just clean. It's Zero Res Clean. $33 per room clean carpet or tile. April only. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online by searching for Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. All right, we got more people reacting to the Jazz loss. Fritz. This is why the NBA's top analysts aren't giving the Jazz that much respect. How about the secondary analysts, though? Are they giving it to them? <laughs> Fritz does not get into that. <laughs> Just sticking with the top analysts. What's DB think? I, I need to know. She's so good. That's Doris Burke for those of you who don't know where he's going here. <laughs> oh, that, that's your lack of him. That's sexism right there, buddy. Everybody knows who DB is. Josh believes the Jazz will be fine. Phoenix finally has a tough stretch coming up. Hopefully the Jazz will get the full game back tonight. The Suns have the Clippers, they were saying. They do. And on the road, too, so they had to travel as well. I would but think, then the Clippers will gain a game on you. Yes. They're four and a half back. They got a chance to get it to three and a half here if the Jazz fall to the Blazers. Yeah. And that's not impossible, obviously. Papa Dave says, I'd like to see home court advantage throughout the playoffs because it's about the playoffs. It's not about the regular season. What are we talking about the regular season? It's about the playoffs. Well, it is about the playoffs. There's no question about that. But the problem with that line of thinking is just historically the teams that are in the number one and two seeds are the ones who get there. So, I mean, they don't mean everything, but certainly they mean something. Yeah, is this just uh, a crazy outlier of a year because uh, there have been so many teams, well, so many. The two teams, everyone picked 1-2 in the West, the L.A. teams, have had injuries. And the Clippers have a five-man group. When they're together, they're the, well, okay, they've been together for like a dozen games. So, do I think you're going to have all your guys in the playoffs? And, And we know what the Lakers are up against with their two guys out. And when are they coming back? And how long are they going to be able to stay healthy when they get back? Uh, I don't know, but that has nothing to do with the Jazz. And we're talking about the regular season because that's what we're in right now. And there it is. We're talking about the Jazz. And when when we're in the playoffs, we'll talk about the Jazz in the playoffs. When we're in the preseason, we'll talk about the Jazz in the preseason. And now that we're in the regular season, that's what we're talking about. Duh. 
JR says it's just a shooting while it's continuing from three. It looks like everyone but Don is struggling with taking his shot with confidence. He needs some help. Booker and Paul were impressive last night, but we'll be fine on to the next one. Yeah, that's my whole thing is that Ingles doesn't struggle with confidence, but he's only getting two attempts. Well, he ought to get more tonight because Conley will sit, and when Conley sits, Joe gets to handle the ball a lot. He'll run a lot of pick and rolls, and he'll be able to pull up and hit. Except Joe has made a significant mark on this team this season, and it's not exclusively when Conley isn't available. It is not exclusively. But when Conley is out, he's had his best games. Uh, we understand. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, I guess if you just go strictly on numbers, but uh, his contributions that he makes, uh, I just think he needs to get more involved. I don't need his involvement offensively to be the same as Royce O'Neal's. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, Utah football availability. Got a scrimmage Saturday. We'll hear from the Utes, focusing on the linebackers. With Colton Swan, the linebacker coach, on the way. Stay with us. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce? Well, get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. All right, youth football availability coming up. Spring football, they're getting down to it. The spring game's a week from Saturday. They got a scrimmage this week. The spring game will be on the Pac-12 network. The scrimmage is not, so easy to uh, figure that this scrimmage will have some juicier stuff, PK, because they'll have to go vanilla when they go to uh, the Pac-12 network. Nobody wants to put anything on TV for everybody else to look at. Coaches being yeah. secret and all that. I don't think it's that big of a deal because you'll have played three games by the time you play in the conference, so... I don't really see where it matters. Colton Swan, linebacker coach, scheduled to speak today. Nephi Sewell as well coming up here. You got any storylines you want to see or the storylines you want to see you just can't because we're not going to spring football this year? From the linebacker perspective? There or the team as well. Uh, Bigger than that. Anywhere on the defense. It all fits together. Yeah, I think linebacker, I mean, they're, they normally go with the two linebackers. And I think they're set there. Lloyd, I think, is an NFL guy. And Sewell has worked his way up, sort of like a Chase Hansen, in that, uh, you know, he started out a uh, different position and moved him up. For Chase, it was at safety and then moved up to linebacker. And Sewell has moved up from that position there. So uh, I think they're ready to go there as far as that goes. Uh, they've had a nice run of NFL linebackers. All right, here is the linebackers Col- coach, Colton Swan, in his third year now with the Utes after coaching at Weber State. Here's Colton. Linebackers coach Colton Swan, and we'll start with the Q&A portion with Trevor Allen of kslsports.com. Go ahead, Trevor. Good morning, Coach. How are you? Good, Trevor. How are you? Doing good. Um, when, when you heard that Devin Lloyd was coming back for another season, what was your reaction? God, that was Christmas morning right there, wasn't it? Huh? Yeah, it was. Uh, my reaction was pretty excited. He, uh, he, as everybody knows, he's a phenomenal player, phenomenal young man, and uh, what a what a blessing. Uh, very excited to have him back. The opportunity to work with him for one more year, uh, perfecting his craft. You know, uh, we're always sharpening that axe, meaning we're always preparing, meaning we're always working to get better, and. Uh, and he's a huge component of that. So, yeah, Christmas morning for sure. 
And then to follow up on that, you have two young guys who, who've already joined you in, in spring that were highly touted in Trey Reynolds and, and uh, Mason Tufaga. How have they performed in spring ball? Awesome. We uh, 10 practices in thus far and really grabbing the bull by the horns. They're doing a great job. They uh, they come to work and work hard every day. Um, they've got a really good foundation coming into it already. Uh, a good, very good mindset. Um, the foundation of hard work has already been built. They love spending time in the, in the uh, video room, wearing those projectors out. Um, great attitudes, very tenacious kids, very physical. Um, and yeah, I love, love everything about them that I'm seeing thus far. Okay, we'll go to Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Colton, how are you? Good, Josh. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Um, Good. When you, when you look at the room right now and, and just what you have, how, how reasonable is it maybe to believe that Ethan Calvert, when he gets there, could get on the field right away? Oh, Ethan's a uh, special player. Uh, he's had a great high school career. Um, you know, he's very highly touted across the country as linebacker play in his recruiting process. Um, you know, there's the expectations are high, uh, but in this program, in with me, nothing's nothing ever is given. It's always earned. Um, so the expectation is for him to come in and work hard, just like everybody else, and uh, and and earn that spot. If it's going to be on the field, you got to earn it. Um, you know, but my expectations are high. He's a very uh, very good uh, high school player. And uh, I've got to do a good job in coaching him and putting him in position. But uh, I want him to come in and, and earn it and work for it, and which I know he will. That's his mentality and who he is. And just to follow that up, when, when you guys are able to get a recruit of that caliber, as you said, a great high school player, you know, the four-star, the whole thing, when you're able to get a, a kid like that, do, does that do something for the perception of Utah and for the perception of the defense at Utah? I think no doubt, no doubt. I think the country sees that, hey, the type of defense that we are, the style that we are, um, especially, you know, linebackers across the country that want to come play here. We've got a great defensive line in front of us uh, and, and playing the linebacker position that allows you to be very successful, um, have very high production and, uh, you know, being able to scrape from sideline to sideline. So, um, yeah, I think that's a huge recruiting tool uh, as well. And, and linebackers, like I said, across the country can see that and want to come play uh, for this university and this style of defense, no doubt. Next, we'll go back to Trevor Allen. Nephi really had a, I, I would say, breakout season last year. And, and, you know, what was what was some of the things that, you know, for him to be able to move from safety to linebacker and really produce the way that, that they did in those five games last year, what does that speak to what he's done? Man, he what a great kid. Uh, first off, he is, I should say, young man. He is a phenomenal individual, and he has an uncanny ability to get to the football. It's, it's something like I've never seen. He really, really understands offense. He really, really understands defense, and he puts himself in great positions to make plays. He's very productive, as you guys know. Um, you know, he's not the biggest man in stature, but uh, he's, he does pack a powerful punch, and uh, he is physical, and probably his best attribute is just how he can find ways to get to the football. Uh, he's just got a unbelievable knack for the football. 
Okay, any more questions for Coach Swan? All right, thank you. Colton Swan, linebacker coach right there, talking about Ethan Calvert. That's the four-star signee out of Oaks Christian in Southern California. Is he going to come in and be able to play right away? And he sure pumped up Nephi Sewell there at the end as well. That was sensational. He couldn't have said many nicer things about that, about, uh, about him. Yeah, well, he'll be a starter this year. So uh, usually if you're a starter, you're pretty good. <laughs> All right, we're expected to hear from uh, Nephi Sewell himself here in a second. He's supposed to uh, follow Colton Swans. We'll get to that uh, momentarily. All right, so the, uh, the defense pretty much set. You got any questions about it, really, PK? Or not until, not until you see if they can give it, if they'll have some of the breakdowns and big plays they had last season. Yeah, I mean, if that's the issue there. You know, what are they going to do? And, and I wonder last year, how much was real? You know, how many, I was thinking about this the other day, how many times do you see a team blow a big lead at halftime? How many times do you see a team come back after being down big? Well, for the Utes, it happened twice. They blew one, and then they rallied once against the blowing it against Washington, and then the, the tremendous rally against Washington State. And, you know, you don't really see, normally see those big differences from half to half. And we saw them. Yeah. And they only played five games, and two of them were like that. And really the first game against SC, you really had no idea what you had because of so much new stuff. And if you would have played a regular season, you would have known, or normal season, you would have known a lot more by the time you got to SC because you would have played three games. And so you probably would have already established Ty Jordan. So that that had a potential to be significantly different. So the point I'm making is it's hard for me to judge uh, conclusive evidence based on last season because as crazy as it was there. And so I think that the best you can say from the youth perspective, because that's what we talk about, is that these kids got ex- some – Sort of experience that counted, but wasn't entirely 100% real because of all the circumstances involving that. So that's, that's good and bad, meaning they got, they, the young the dudes got experience, but they didn't get the full measure of experience. So I can't say that they're completely and totally ready to go this season based on, well, now that they're technically – they're sophomores, but they're not sophomores, and we won't really know until how that plays out for a couple years now uh, if they want to come back or how they classify themselves academically. I don't, I don't athletically. I don't know any of that for now. But they did get a, a fair amount of decent experience, but not the full extent. So what does that mean this year when they come back? If I judge it on normal, well, they would have played seven, eight games more then I would feel much more confident with only a few games and as crazy as they were, how much do I really count on them being better? I'm not sure on all that. I have to see some more evidence, and hopefully we get the 12 games, and for them, 13 or 14, or whatever they may get after the fact, that'll be great. In the short term, you know, what what do they have? I think they've they've, they've got a good nucleus but it would it be as good if they were all coming off of 12, 13 games as opposed to the five games? You see what I'm saying there? I absolutely see it, and I think you've got to double down and say, I don't know what about the teams are going to play either. 
So as far as, you know, making predictions or setting expectations well, or whatever, uh, yeah, I don't know. How real was Colorado? You know, I, that they've been bad. They, had, they got a new coach. Carl Durrell comes in. You know, they certainly, in the mini season we had, outstripped expectations. But was that a case of, hey, have more teams that seen them on film and they knew the personnel and knew what Durrell was doing, they would have, they would have handled Colorado. And it may be Colorado would have just been a team that got off to a fast start and then slumped. I mean, the Washington State game was the big comeback because that was a three-score game. Uh, but against Colorado, they were, they were down 11, you know, on the road. I mean, it wasn't nothing. That, that was a comeback. And maybe their ability to come back there helped them, you know, with the confidence Wazoo. All right, here's Nephi Sewell sitting down now, Utah linebacker. Sell sports. Nephi, you had a really productive 2020 season, especially when, when you moved up to linebacker. What led to, to being so productive in that season? Um, what led to me being productive was I got to give credit to our D linemen. You know, they take on a lot of blocks for me and Devin to come clean. And then shout out to Coach Juan for, you know, coaching me throughout the you know, COVID season last year. You know, it wasn't easy for everyone. But um, I'm glad that I got the, the move to linebacker. And I'm glad that I had such a good coach, Coach Juan. And then also um, thanks to Coach Scally for um, scheming to put us in the right places, uh, everyone in the right places throughout uh, each week. So, yeah. And then do a follow-up on that. Um, coach Swan said that you have a great nose for – for where the football is, does that come natural, or 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 do you have to work at that? Um, it comes natural, but um, at the same time, it comes uh, with practicing. You know, it's our culture to be relentless to the ball, and then, uh, this spring has been like a, a teaching lesson to the young people of how to become our culture. You know, running to the ball. Throughout every day of practice definitely helps when it comes to game. It comes easy. It comes easier in the game because my adrenaline's running. But yeah. Next question will come from Cole Bagley with the Utah Daily Chronicle. Nephi, uh, is there anything that you're working on specifically this uh, this off season to improve your game? Uh, yeah. So the main thing that's uh, I've been trying to improve on with my game is uh, definitely taking on uh, blocks with linemen. I felt like uh, that is where uh, I needed to improve most in terms of when to strike on the lineman and when to not. But that's basically my biggest thing I'm trying to focus on this uh, spring. And then just to follow up, being one of the, the upperclassmen linebackers, what are your uh, initial thoughts on some of the new freshmen that have joined the program? I'm actually glad that they're, they're here. You know, um, it's not an easy decision to leave your family become an early enrollee, but uh, I've been impressed with a lot of the new guys. You know, they're picking up the defense uh, pretty well. Um, obviously, there's some mistakes because it's only been a couple of weeks in the spring, but we're coming to the end of it. I'm really proud of them. You know, they're working hard every day to get better, and uh, I couldn't be any more proud. Any more questions for Nephi? All right, thank you, Nephi. All right, there's Nephi Sewell, the youth linebacker and PK. It always strikes me uh, not. It's not like this with 
all the guys, but there are a significant number of the defenders, these guys who, you know, they play a violent sport. And he did reference on game day when his adrenaline is going, but then you interview them and, and they can be so soft-spoken. You're thinking, man, how can you, you know, it's, it's almost easier when you're talking to somebody, um, well, we all, I mean, Brady Papinga is like the ultimate example, right? Like you can listen to Brady talk and you know right away, ah, he's a football player. He's a crazy linebacker running around out there. You hear some of these guys talk, you think, man, you really do flip the switch on Saturdays. Uh, yeah, we're in April here, so yeah. I, I don't want him to be crazy right now. There's no need to be at the high-level fever pitch. You're, you're, you've got months to go before you play games, so uh, I don't really care what you have to say right now. I care what you do <clears throat> as far as being in the situation to make the improvement that you need to make so you're ready to go when the games count, and I think that's the most important thing. Uh, going back to what you were saying about these teams, what you can judge, I think for the Utes, it's a little bit different because they had so many new guys. I think you have to look at each individual roster, and I don't have that in front of me right now, to see, okay, what guys are juniors and seniors? Mm-hmm. Because then I wouldn't be as concerned. There would be fewer question marks if they were juniors and seniors because if they're juniors and seniors, as, you know, as long as they're not JC guys, that means that they've played full seasons. And these kids for Utah, so many of them haven't played full, full seasons. seasons. Yeah, how are they going to be? You know, what's it going to be like in November when <clears throat> you've been practicing every day since uh, the first day of August? Basically, that's a grind. You know, it's 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 twenty four seven. When you think about what's asked of these kids, and then you mix in the academics uh, and what's going on in their lives. There's a lot, and they don't have a lot of time. That's why you normally don't see guys getting uh, in trouble <laughs> in during the season because there's no time. <laughs> you know, every oh, literally almost every minute is uh, scheduled for you, and then you got to go to sleep. So, and these youngsters, uh, you know, they played the high school ball, and that's great. But there's really no comparison between high school and college as far as what's expected of you virtually nonstop, particularly during the season. You know, we know the Dave uh, or Dan Hawkins rant, go play intramurals, buddy. You want more than two weeks off? What the crap you talking about? <laughs> we all remember that rant years ago. Well, that's because it's true of what there's expected. So they didn't get to that point, you know, when they're mentally fatigued and they might be banged up and all that stuff. Whereas other teams, I'd have to look at their rosters to say, okay, I feel more confident. Now, the Sun Devils, using them as an example, because obviously I know them a little bit more. They had a lot of juniors and seniors, and a lot of them, particularly the seniors, chose to come back for another season. So they can't really use uh, youth and any of that stuff as as an excuse whatsoever. In fact, if I ever hear anybody related to Tempe's program, say it, and I'm going to run down there and smack him <laughs> in the back of the head. Not this year, no. This is because these guys that he's got, that's who they had when he first got there. And they were all freshmen. And we get, you know, they were inconsistent, as you should be, uh, as a, compared to a junior senior versus your freshman year. He played a ton of new dudes. Well, those dudes now are older, and so they can't use any of that. So that's why they're expected to be decent. For Utah defensively, you can't really say that on a lot of the positions. And certainly you can say it with Lloyd and to an extent Sewell have been out on the field. So you expect the linebackers. What you're going on for Utah is the rep. You got the, the two linebackers are set. They've played a good amount of football, okay? 
and we'll bring the young guys in and see how they progress. And I'm sure they're very good because Kyle, one thing he knows, he knows a lot of things, but one thing he knows for sure is defense. We all agree on that. Uh, but we're going more on rep as far as with a little with, – with some evidence, not exclusively rep, not like it was last year. They do have some rep. But we're going – I mean, some experience. But we're going on rep. The D-line and, and backfield traditionally is strong. And is good and gets stronger as they go, and that's I think where we're going with Utah. And I expect them to be good, no doubt about it, and expect them to be in contention because I think they're going to make a fair amount of improvement. But I would know more if they had played a full season. Yeah, I think the thing you take away from those five games on the defensive side of the ball is that after the opening against SC, which as you pointed out was weird because it was their season opener, they didn't have the non-conference games, and SC had already played twice. They gave up 33 points in that game. After that game, the defense didn't give up 30 points. Now, they did give up some big plays that were startling. They had um, halves of football where they weren't very good. You know, could they have held on to that game against Washington? <laughs> I mean, it was right there for the taking. Ultimately, they only gave up 24 points, but it was four points too many. Uh, and against Washington State, the way they got carved up in the first half was shocking, but ultimately they held them to 28 points in a game. So uh, they're starting at a good place. You know, a little improvement off a stretch where you went four straight games and you didn't give up 30 points. Now you don't get to measure yourself against, you know, Oregon, and that's a team you're always going to want to measure yourself against. I get that. Um, You didn't play ASU. I guess that's another team you're going to measure yourself against. They ought to be at least decent, and maybe they'll be better than that. But at minimum, they'll they'll be good, I would think. I would agree, yes. So, and so you didn't get to measure why, yourself against those teams. In UCLA, it, it's we- a weird year when you don't play a team in your division. I don't know. I think UCLA, I think Colorado and UCLA are the two teams that I put the question marks on in the division. I think I, I have a better handle on the other four teams, but I don't know what I think about those two for sure. Uh, Arizona, They're I gonna, don't expect them to be great, but right. there's a lot of mystery there in that they're bringing in a new staff. Uh, so you should still win the ball game, but there is going to be mystery there with an entirely new coaching staff as they made. Interesting, it's the first time since 1973, I think, I saw that they have brand new coaches in football and basketball. Oh. Uh, you don't normally, and, that, and obviously those are the two big sports on the men's side. Arizona does real well, they did real well in basketball, and then softball, they've been a national power for many years. Uh, but on the men's side, those are the two sports you look to. Baseball's been pretty good, too. They've won national titles. <clears throat> but uh, how's that going to play out? It's an interesting time in Tucson as far as their their teams there. So uh, we'll see you know, how how that plays out with Fisher. He's brought in a ton of enthusiasm. And one of the things they've done that was really smart for them is they brought in a completely and totally media-savvy guy. Sumlin hated to do anything, and then when you're losing, it's like, well, what the crap, man? You know, you can only get away with that nonsense if you're winning, right? (laughs) You can't get away with that if you're losing. And Sean Miller did uh, pretty much the same thing. He was viewed as dour and uptight and not very friendly. So my guess is they're going to bring in a a handshaker and a backslapper too there. Uh, as far as that goes. So interesting developments in Tucson as we go forward uh, with football and basketball. 
All right, DJ PK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the Masters is underway. Hudson Swafford, Siwoo Kim, both two under. They're on top of the leaderboard. A lot of the big names getting ready to uh, tee off here. We will talk Masters with Bob Casper and the Jazz. Back-to-back losses. Now, coming off an overtime road game, they got to go back-to-back against a Portland team that was sitting here waiting for them. Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Jazz, joins us at 9 o'clock. Bob Casper on the Masters, next. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Brian Taylor joining us, Real Golf Radio. So the appetizer starts with pigs in a blanket. That's delicious. And you got to hand it to Dustin Johnson to put pigs in a blanket on a Masters Club dinner. Like, is there a more prestigious, in all of sports, dinner club and he goes with pigs in a blanket and then oh by the way just class up the joint we're gonna go lobster and corn fritters look we all enjoy pigs in a blanket i just don't know if that's uh, a master's dinner that's all i've got the image of me eating like four of those just before i get into my filet with lobster tail and how that would be i like how you're like pair well you're like hey bring more of those over here <laughs> hey faldo can i have yours yeah <laughs> i'm hungry Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Have the TV on during the show. The sound is down. You see kind of the headlines of whatever they're debating. And this morning they're doing the Masters cut-ins for whatever reasons that I don't completely understand. They, they can't televise the early round of the Masters, except they can't cut in. Okay, well, that's a pretty fine line. But uh, I saw your guy Patrick Reed working in the sand, PK, putting the work in, ready to go. The unlikable yeah. guy, your last pick. <laughs> I'm watching uh, CBS Sports. Uh, the Sports Network's like 221 on direct. Mm-hmm. And they got what's called Masters on the Range. And I was just telling Yak about it. So they've got a camera looking down the line of the range. Mm. And, wow, it's a – all these guys warming up. And so then they've got the shot tracker on Rory, right? So, you know, the ball flight, the launch angle, the carry, the distance and all that. Right. And it's and he's just hitting practice shots. That would be like in the pregame warm-ups of the NBA. Oh, <laughs> look, at, uh, look at Kevin Durant. You know, man, he just took a 22-footer. Who cares? <laughs> There's no pressure. There's practice. But that's what they're doing because this is such a big deal. And you've got people sitting there watching. And I have to admit, if I were there, I would do it too. I would go watch these guys. And I'm right now, yeah, it's uh, they just had uh, Patrick Reed in the foreground. It looks like Shoffley in the background. And they're going through with their coaches and their caddies and all this stuff. And they're just warming up because they can't show it. They can't show that there is now a uh, six, seven-way tie with one under. Jason Day, Hideki Matsui, and blah, blah, blah. Ian Poulter, uh, one under. Because they can't show uh, all this stuff. Uh, the, the coverage doesn't begin until 1 o'clock our time. I think it's ESPN has the first and second rounds. And then obviously... The uh, CBS picks it up for the third and fourth rounds. Uh, I saw some of the uh, some of the stuff from the range, and uh, DJ looked pretty relaxed. Why wouldn't you be? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm the defending champ. I'm financially set for life. 
And I'm golfing at Augusta. I well, plus he's good. at the range, too. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. It's the range. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't matter. There's no pressure. You have to get out there, and when you tee it up, then that's another story. But it's funny to me that they're focusing so much on these guys at the range. It's I don't know. Can that you, you imagine? Sort of like the home run hitting contest. I, I was going to say, can you imagine before the World Series, it's BP and just analyzing how far guys are hitting the ball in BP? Nobody does that. Normally, you just do it uh, the home run contest, which is on the Monday before the yeah. All Star Game. I can recall I went and I when I was well, even as an adult, not just as a kid. And when I would go to games, I'd love to get there early and watch the BP. And I was at the Diamondback Stadium one year, and they were playing the Dodgers. And I thought I'd go out to left field and maybe try to snag a ball. And Sheffield Sheffield was up, and he's just hitting these missiles, and I don't have a glove. And I'm thinking, get out of here. I'm going to get hurt. <laughs> I'm going to go leaning over a chair. The ball's going to ricochet. It's going to cut my hands. This is not worth it for a practice ball. <laughs> how many uh, – How many? <laughs> oh, my gosh. How many, uh, how many people were out there? Was there a chance you could pick one up, you know, caramming around, you know, rolling around underneath the chair? Uh, yeah, but I'd say there was probably 100 people or so out in left field. And, you know, then there would be over in right field, depending on, uh, obviously, left-handed batter, right-handed batter. But I remember specifically Sheffield, and we could all remember him with that bat, and he would wave it. Oh, yeah. And he had a swing that seemed so fast and, and so powerful, and, and it was BP, and he's just hitting the launch angle. They Nobody talked about launch angle and velo then, uh, and you especially didn't do it in batting practice. But uh, at that time, they were just whatever the velo and uh, launch angle was, they had to be at the top of the charts because they were he was just crushing one after another. And so they were coming at you like Lucy at the chocolate factory and you couldn't keep up in these balls. And I'm thinking, I don't really like being out here. (laughs) I seem to be target practice for this guy. He's probably, hey, who's that guy uh, with the big nose out there? I'm going to try to hit him because he was just hitting massive shots one after another but for people who are into that they geek out on that and then then that's what that's why you show these guys at the range and there's so many of these big names in the masters it looks like a beautiful day there Uh, bob was talking about earlier possibly rain later in the week but for right now there is uh, just gorgeous conditions so i would suspect pretty big scores and when you get a major like this you know i compare it to like the Super Bowl, or you just said the World Series, all the attention of the sport is on that thing. And all the big names, or everybody and their dog is there, right? And it's it's like the Super Bowl for, for basketball or football, but for golf, and they have it four times a year. You know, the World Series is just those two weeks at one time, however long it lasts and the NBA Finals and all that stuff. It's a short time. Here you have it where they converge four times a year. Now, with the Masters, it's the same location each time. It's really an incredible, spectacular event if you're into it, and and, uh, certainly I am into it. Dustin Johnson just teed off, and, uh, you know, you never know on TV when they hit it where the thing's going, and you just see him lean over, and all of a sudden you tell, oh, he is worried. How bad is that? Is he in the trees, and they cut to it, and the ball hops and rolls, and he's a yard off the fairway. <laughs> it's just a yard. He'll be fine. He's, well, he's I really peering believe out there. that. 
If he is at his best, he's the best. If everybody brings their A-plus game, then he's going to win because his A-plus game is better than everybody else's A-plus game. Right now. Yeah, if you're dialed in. You're hitting fairways, you're hitting greens, and you're making putts. And that's the thing that was so spectacular about Tiger because his right now lasted so long. Other guys uh, doesn't last nearly as long, but for him, it did last for so long. That's what's just so incredible. I feel a sense of uh, gratitude or being fortunate to be able to watch Tiger during his prime. Now, we didn't get to watch Arnie and Jack and the other guys during their prime, and there's going to be golf fans who are younger Years from now, who you know, their Tiger is going to be their Arnie and Jack, yeah, in the way that uh, they are to us. But for us, we saw Tiger do his thing right there, and it was fun to watch. And uh, and clearly, it looks like it's over. Obviously, it was going to happen. I find that interesting about uh, DeChambeau. Oh, his swing, he's going to get hurt. Okay, (laughs) if you got 14 majors and 80 wins. You're going to get hurt. <laughs> right, okay. but he's not going to have 14 and 80, so is he going to have He's not. Is he going to have 7 and 40 because that would be awesome. That, that, but, he you know, ta- that, but he's a lightning rod for criticism. Yeah. Yeah, he's outside the norm and and he's got the personality. I mean, he's not Patrick Reed, but he is a little this my wife likes to use the word brusque. <laughs> he's a little brusque. Well, that's even better because I want everybody to be the same. Nope, nope. You know the funny thing is uh, watching the um, watching uh, Patrick Reed in the in the trap. He had the earbuds in, and I'm like, is he taking calls right now? Because that'd be awesome. <laughs> don't call me now. Oh, don't put your don't put your earbuds in. No, he's but listening he's, to rap. Yeah, I figured he's. What, what's his music? What is his go to? What's his sand trap music? Well, I mean, we we. We uh, we stereotype golfers, so they're all redneck Republicans, so they listen to country. I mean, that's that's the stereotype. I have no idea what his uh, musical tastes are. I have no idea. Is he listening to to like massage music? You know, this uh, just instrumental. Is this Patrick Reed? Ah, you know? uh, like a little light jazz. Uh. Sure, I, I don't. Know. I actually, I don't when know I thought with is. him because of his his attitude, I thought he'd be the guy on tour listening to metal. Big hair band so, to the eighties. I don't. I don't know what golfers need to do to get themselves in the mood because that's another thing that's impressive is the amount of concentration that you have to have because you're doing something. Uh, it's like a pitcher, you know. You're you're throwing that ball. If you beg, usually in a hundred pitches these days is where it's at there. And in golf, you know, you're smacking it around seventy uh, sometimes or high sixties, and to have that concentration on all those shots, it's just I've always I've always been impressed with that, that how these guys can do it because I think it is a grind over a four day deal. And it's not just a physical grind. It's probably less of a physical grind than it is a mental grind because, because it's a slow-paced game. And it's not like you're, you know, you're playing third base and somebody hits a shot at you and you just you react and the play's over. You know what I mean? In football, you, you, offensive lineman, you've got to hold your block for four seconds or five seconds. And if you do that, you're great. Uh, 
here there's so much downtime in and around and it's just up to you you know you're not even in it's the really is it the only individual sport that you know aside from match play that you're not really competing against anybody else in the truest sense there's no defense there's no yeah there's opponent right it does yeah you can't impact how the other guy plays but see you can though uh, if you hit it tight that's the mental aspect of if, it that goes to the other guy that's the interesting thing is that you can but not in the truest way that we okay think not of. in the truest way because you know and on sunday you know the odds go up that you're competing against the guy in your group but you're not necessarily we've seen plenty of times where there are two or three guys spread over the last two or three groups oh for sure yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. you know but sometimes at augusta they always talk about the roar so you can right. know so that gets in your mind ha- and what happened right, what's that, going on right that's a birdie roar ooh that sounded like somebody missed a putt you know <laughs> right did someone dump that in the water so you're trying to figure that out, too, and that's going through your mind. That's why it's in a fascinating game, and the head matters in a lot of manner. Between the ears matters almost just as much as the physical skill that and you I, have. I, I wish I don't know what happened with Bob, and we're trying to track him down, and, and Yach's calling him repeatedly here. Uh, but the thing I'd like to ask Bob is about what you just said, because I'm just – you know, an amateur hacker who's no good and has just goes out and has fun if someone's in their group, you know. If it's the right group of people, I can have fun. These guys are at a level I can't even imagine. But when you talk about it's more of a mental grind than a physical grind. You know, someone like me can be broken in a heartbeat by a bad shot. It's the easiest thing in the world. But I think the Masters, to me, is more of the mental grind because um, – when you get to the U.S. Open, often, sometimes the PGA, depending on where they're being played, uh, the weather, I think, makes it more of a physical grind. You know, we've seen the U.S. Open played somewhere where it's hot, it's humid, and, I mean, guys are just sweating buckets, and it is really physical. You're just out there in the sun, and you're just dying hour after hour, you know, slepping up and down whatever hills on whatever course, wherever they are in any given year. You know, one year at Pebble Beach and it's ocean breezes and it doesn't apply, but wasn't there one year they were in Tulsa and it was just miserable and they were watering greens and the the thing was dying. I mean, it was awful weather. But Augusta, because it's spring, I don't think they usually have to battle that. But the greens, everything is fast, you know, a putt, man it can get away from you in a heartbeat. You know, it can be going great and just one putt slides past the hole and everything's so fast. And now you got six feet coming back. And I I just think that beats guys up mentally, you know. Well, plus they want it so bad. Think about it. How many times have you seen guys on Sunday when they win at the Phoenix Open cry? That would be zero. And how many times have you seen them get emotional at a major? I can't even count. Yeah. I can't even Dustin count. Johnson could not speak. Yeah. He couldn't speak last November when that lady who does the interviews on CBS, I I don't remember her name. Uh and she's standing at that point it was this, you know, the social distance 6 feet apart and and Dustin couldn't speak without crying and he didn't want to cry. So therefore words he couldn't get them out. And then when DeChambeau he comes around and they have his parents on the screen and he comes around and sees them and immediately breaks down. 
And that was a different major, but it's the same thing. And that you're only doing that when you extend everything you have from an emotional standpoint and a physical and a mental standpoint. You literally gave everything you have. And we've seen that, you know, we've seen Tiger when, uh, what was it, the British after his father died? And he wouldn't let, Steve Williams like, okay, we've done, we're done hugging. No, we're not. <laughs> he wasn't, he wasn't ready to let loose. Bubba Watson in the Masters, uh, all that stuff. And that's, that's fun to watch, man, because they're giving it everything they got. And that, for me as a sports fan, that's what I want to see. And I saw that last night with the Jazz. I felt that under the circumstances, they gave everything that they had. And, then, you know, they lost in overtime. That's the way it goes. But I felt like they gave everything they had. And that was a great game. From an entertainment standpoint, we all want the Jazz to win. Well, I had a guy text me, a friend of mine down in L.A. He's texted, so who are you rooting for? You know, because he knows I grew up in Phoenix. He says, I'm betting because it's your job, uh, you want the Jazz to win. I text back, money talks. <laughs> yeah, you try to explain that to people. I, we've had to come in and do shows after big wins and after big losses. We'll do whatever we have to do, and we, we don't control it. But if you're asking me what I prefer, <laughs> well, that's easy. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the thing about the game, I do feel like they spend a lot of energy I, I certainly, as a basketball fan, I did not get cheated. That was, a, that was a really good game. But I think the one thing I would say about the effort is I have heard since I was a little kid going to basketball camps to watching games on TV to getting coached at the high school level and listening to the college and NBA coaches here, and the thing that consistently comes out of the mouths of people who have devoted themselves to basketball – is that rebounding is about effort. you got to want the ball. Now it's changed a little over time because you're running down more long rebounds off missed threes than you used to. And the old days of three guys to the offensive boards and three guys blocking them out and trying to form that little U, that cup around the hoop, uh, so that the ball was coming off to you, coming off to one of your guys for sure. You know that's really changed. There's a lot of teams that drop four and only send one guy to the offensive glass. So it's changed over time. But what technically? But what hasn't changed is if you want the ball, you got to go get it, and you got to spend a lot of energy to go get it over the course of a game. And the Jazz didn't do that even close to well enough. I mean that that is the easiest thing to point at. Then the threes when we went to. Uh, if you're not with us in the 7 o'clock hour, we do a segment, and there's a lot of reaction, whatever the story of the day is, on Facebook and Twitter. And everybody, correctly, was going to the three-point shooting and the rebounding. But the three-point shooting, you know, how you run your offense, the shots you choose, when you choose to attack the rim. I mean, there's something to that and all that. But the rebounding, you got to go get the ball. If Chris Paul's got four rebounds and you've only got one, what happened? Chris Paul is in his mid-30s, and he's six feet tall. So if he can get four rebounds, you can get four rebounds. And Conley only got one. Bogey only got one. Conley didn't speak after the game. Bogey did. Uh, they just bring the three guys out to the Zoom. So I don't know how they pick them or who they, who they bring out. But Bogey was one of the guys they brought out last night, and he said, I only have one rebound. I have to have more rebounds. You know, they've been on him about that before. He's not a good rebounder. He's got the size to be a good rebounder. 
again, if Chris Paul can get four, you can get four. So that's the one place where I would say, mm, you need more effort. All I've ever heard my whole life is that rebounding is about effort, and you gave up 16 offensive rebounds and only got seven offensive yourself, and you got out rebounded 61-45. Well, no wonder you lost the game. That's a massive number. Yes, no one. You get out rebounded by 10 rebounds in a game. Like five is noticeable. 10 is significant. You get to 16, you got your butts kicked. It's remarkable, and it does speak to how well they did other stuff in the game that that thing went to OT when they got beat that bad on the backboards. You know, and there's just no way that anyone on that coaching staff is okay with that. There's no, no way. Quinn's not okay with it. Alex Jensen isn't okay with it going down the line. No but I way. actually think that that's a little susceptibility for the Jazz because they are three-point oriented and they rely so much on Gobert. And he does a phenomenal job. He, and statistically, that all bore itself out last yeah. night. They did take the 44 threes and he did have 18 rebounds. I mean, he knew he had to go get him, but other guys got to go with him. Yeah, and, and, and Mitchell had eight. You can't crack on, and that was oh, one Mitchell, of the no. things when you know, and Shaq. A lot of it gets lost in all the smoke and all that. But you know, to his point is, if you're going to be a great player, you can't just score. And you know, within this game, Mitchell took that to heart. Eight rebounds is a lot of rebounds. I mean, he's taller than Chris Paul, but he's not a lot taller. You know, and he's playing a long way from the hoop, but he got eight boards. He's a lot more athletic, right he now, is, especially at his age. There's a lot of three of missed threes to be tracked down. You know, they're bouncing all over the place. So you got to go get them. They they might go to the corner, they might go out to the top of the key, then go anywhere. And you got to go get them. You yeah, know? they only had three guys get offensive boards, and two of them were their big guys, and Niang got one. When and favors favors did well for for what he's being he asked eight, to do. He had eight boards. And two offensive, yep. yeah, and only 16 minutes, so obviously oh. favors, tip of the cap. A, a rebound every other minute's outstanding. A rebound every four minutes is not yeah. good enough. <laughs> but a rebound every two is excellent. And so their two big guys did it, but they don't really have what we define as classically as big guys outside of those two guys. Right. And then you look at Phoenix, and I think they had four guys. I don't have to, I'll open up the box score. I got but, it right now. What okay. do you want? How many? Look at the the rebounding for Phoenix. Didn't they have four guys who had a lot of rebounds? You had Cam Johnson had eight. He's yeah. a three point shooter, but he also he's very tall, mm-hmm. so he's like in the six nine six ten range. Sarich is a big guy. Had eight in eleven eight minutes. Twelve and Card, uh, Crowder had twelve. Yeah, Sarich had eight in eleven minutes. That is and four offensive. So he had half offensively. If they're they're big guys. Phoenix's big guys. Played very, very well. The, the thing that happens is Gobert gets pulled away from the hoop on the pick and roll. He has got to be. There was actually one time in the game, and Mark Jackson was spot on about he didn't get up enough, and I think it was on like a free throw line jumper from uh, Chris Paul. You know, he was dropping, he was retreating, and he wasn't close enough to Paul. Um, but he's got to go rebound too. So he's, you know, but if you split the difference against Chris Paul, there's not going to be a rebound because he's going to make the shot. You know, so the other guys have got to get in their rebound. And you talked earlier that Aiton, his 12 rebounds, his seven offensive was great. But Crowder with 12, Johnson with eight, Sarich with eight. You know, the Jazz, the Jazz didn't have Victoria that. Craig, five boards in 12 minutes. Their bench, Phoenix's bench, that's an underestimated uh, reason why they won. 
they got solid, solid contributions from just about everybody. Sarge, six points, eight boards in 11 minutes. Torrey Craig, who's a guy who was with Denver last mm-hmm. year that they picked up a week or so before the trade deadline, seven points, five boards in only 12 minutes. That's productivity right there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they had. Uh, it looks like they had four guys who gave them something off the bench. Four, four of their five bench players did pretty well there. So, All right, well, we'll have more on the Jazz coming up. Craig Bolajak's going to join us top of the hour as the Jazz try to rebound from that Phoenix Suns loss and host the Blazers tonight and uh, try to avoid the three-game losing streak. Jazz a game and a half up on the Suns and only one in the loss column right now. Suns have to play the Clippers and the Jazz have to play the Blazers. And you got to think the... Clippers and Blazers were pretty happy with that overtime and wouldn't have minded double overtime. Like, you guys keep playing. You keep running yourself into the ground. You keep doing that. Good work, guys. All right, more in a minute. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Bowler's coming up in 15 minutes right here on The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. When you're as high as Zach Wilson is in this draft, I think a team has contacted him. They might be lying to him, but I would be pretty surprised if he didn't have a pretty good idea where he was going to end up going. Now, these things can change. It's different, Ed, too, though, Gordon, because you've heard the stories in the past of guys who get picked later in the draft. Hey, Denver called me, and they said they're going to pick me. Mm. Because stuff happens. You never know. But with the number two pick, like, we're going to take you a number two unless you go one, I guess. And then uh, (laughs) we'll deal with it. But when you're picking number two, that's... That's a little different than if you're around in the seventh, you're going to be a Tennessee Titan. Right, exactly. Catch the big show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ PK in the morning. Brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. All right, we still got people weighing in, PK. The question of the day. The Jazz, you know, that was an outstanding game. But it was also a loss. And the lead in the loss column is now just a single game over Phoenix. So how are you feeling about the team now? Kevin says it's nerve-wracking, but the game was essentially a tie, and come playoff time, all these regular season games will be a distant, foggy memory. Can we write them off that easily and push them that far out of our brain? No. No, 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 no. If you ask me that point-blank question, which you just did, I emphatically say no. Because I think you have to look at a couple of things here as far as, you know, it's seating. We're, We're into seating purposes now. And so you want the most advantageous seed possible. And you never know how that's going to work out because uh, you can get uh, the three seed and the six seed can get injured and somebody a key player, blah, blah, blah. But you want that. And then I think what's most important is what are the vulnerabilities of the Jazz? They're not a perfect team. No, there's no such thing as a perfect team. And for them to get to let's just uh, worry about the conference finals first before we worry about the NBA finals. To get to the conference finals, things got to go their way, and they've got to improve. And you just hit upon it, uh, the rebounding. When you think about it, right now, they really only have two guys that can say, yeah, I'm in the NBA uh, not exclusively, but a large part because of my rebounding, and that really on the roster, uh, and that's obviously the two big men and Rudy and Derek. Right, those guys—they've been in the NBA 
uh, in a large part, rebounding isn't critical. It's a critical component of the game. So there's a little bit of a vulnerability there because nobody else can say, yeah, I'm in you know, right there rebounding. Or Royce O'Neal's his toughness in his defense, yes, rebounding is a part of it, but not exclusively. And then really nobody else. And so that's a vulnerability there where the and vulnerability, maybe I'm just using I'm being kind and I'm saying vulnerability as opposed to weakness. And maybe it's a weakness. Now you still have the best record in the in the conference, so weakness, I'm a little hesitant to say weakness because after fifty one games, you've proven that you still have the best record. But in the postseason there that can be a problem now it's not i don't necessarily think it's a problem that can't be uh maybe not fixed but mitigated because uh, i don't know that they're ever going to have a bunch of great rebounders outside of those two guys but i think it's stuff that they can work on and be cognizant of yeah i, I think that uh you maybe underestimate royce and the rebounding because Quinn has talked about it, and I mean, coaches do conceal stuff, obviously, but taking it at face value, uh, Royce's rebounding is something that Quinn values a lot. But I don't think he's, but it's not, he didn't make the league by saying, I'm just going to go out and be a ferocious rebounder. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's probably true. When you phrase it like that, yeah, when you phrase it like that, um, but I think his minutes are impacted because I don't know. It, I've never heard Quinn talk about this. And if you asked him, he'd him and haw because he doesn't want to devalue either guy. But I wonder who he trusts to get a big defensive rebound. Would he trust <laughs> Derek favors more or would he tw- trust? Um, I mean, you trust Rudy first. Rudy's got the size, and he's got this. So that, that, that'd be, if there's one guy to grab one defensive rebound, it'd be Rudy. But next, would he pick favors, and you get some size there, and he also he's closer to the rim. Uh, you know, O'Neal rebounding outside of his area, and of course, if you're defending on the three-point line and you have to get It'll into the harder. paint, you're outside of your so area. you can't really blame him. But he does it. He does do it. You see him, I can, mm. I can close my eyes and see him swooping in. To grab a defensive But the board. reason why we're talking about he does it is because he's better than what we think. Yeah. Not because he's because a great rebounder ex- game in and game out. And, and you know, I find it fascinating, this whole spiel about plus minus. It seems like we only use plus minus when it's a plus and we're trying <laughs> to make an argument. But O'Neal is minus 13. We don't, we, we don't ever talk about that. And Joe had the best plus 12. I do think that there are guys who ride coattails in the plus-minus, and there are guys who create it. And so we are always going to pick our spots. I thought the guy who created the plus-minus in the game last night was Chris Paul. I thought every t- well, not every time. In the second quarter, I didn't—and I have to go back and look at the numbers. I might be off. But watching the game in the second quarter, it didn't feel to me like the Jazz took full advantage of Chris Paul being out of the game. I thought in the first and third quarters, when he left the game, the Jazz went on a roll. And I thought—so if you're— on the floor for the Jazz, when Chris Paul sits down, your plus-minus number ought to be better, regardless of whether you're matched up with him or not. I mean, he had that impact on the game that if you have to play your minutes when Chris Paul is on the floor, then I think your plus-minus probably isn't as good. So there is definitely this um, uh, inconsistent kind of hinky thing to plus-minus. You know, sometimes—yeah, and I don't know what's the word. Give me a word. 
There's something weird. I, There's something. But I never heard of Hinky. Oh yeah, well, I was gonna say. I, I may mean, have just made it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's Sam Hinky, the former executive in the. I NBA. was thinking of Sam. It's the <laughs> Hinky thing because his name he valued that and he put his name on it. Well, if you made it up, it's even more awesome. Yeah, I don't know. That's the there's best just part. there's something um, unpredictable and inconsistent about the stat, which makes it frustrating to use. Fluky, fluky, fluky's a good word. Yeah, there can be this. There are guys in jazz history who, as they got better, their plus minus got worse because the coach, regardless of who the coach was at the time, trusted him not to be out there with the best players on the team. <laughs> as you get better, hey, I can put you out there with the backups and you hold it together. Now your plus minus won't be as good because you don't get to play with Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. You don't get to play with Stockton and Malone. But because you're a better player, I trust you now that you don't have to be out there with the Hall of Famers and the statues and the All-Stars and you know whatever they're yeah. going to turn out to be when their career is said and done. So yeah. there's this fluky nature to it, and you got to take all that into account. It's, I think it's a really meaningful stat, but I think of all the stats that require context, which now I'm using grown-up words that are actually in the dictionary, uh, that require context, you better have context when you talk about plus-minus. Because if you watch that game last night, Chris Paul had a great game and had a major impact, and it was a different game when he wasn't on the floor. And you can't take credit or blame for that. That's because Chris Paul. And you know the other thing, and I know we got to get to break here and get to Bowler. We can talk about this with Bowler. You know, I know Jazz fans are frustrated, but like as a as a team, as a player, as a team, as a fan base, you got to take these punches. You know, how many frustrating games and series has Kevin Durant lost? How many frustrating games and series has LeBron lost? You know, this happens to everybody, and you got to take it, and you got to learn from it, and you got to be better. Nobody, we talk about don't skip steps. How many times did Dennis Lindsay tell us that when they were doing the rebuild from ground zero, right? This is one of the steps you don't get to skip. You lose big games to good teams, and that you don't, you don't get, you rarely get the immediate gratification of just turning around and winning it all and feeling great. You know, if you want to be really negative and say, Oh, the Jazz are going to screw it up and lose in the end. Well, 29 teams are. You know, Michael Jordan lost more than he won. You know, outside of Bill Russell, you got me because Bill won 11 times in 13 years. But otherwise, you got to take these punches and you got to learn from them and overcome it. And that's just, that's the history of the NBA. And if it, if it, if it happened to Bird and Magic and Jordan and LeBron, it's going to happen to you too. It's part of the deal. DJ and PK, Bowler's coming up next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. Bowler, good morning. Uh, good morning. I needed that. Bang a gong by T-Rex. <laughs> needed that. Let's get it on. Get it on. Bang a gong. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense, but what the heck? It doesn't. <laughs> you know, the three of us could just sit and write a song, and what, you know, as long as it just got a good beat, that's right. all we need. Yeah. Bowler, yeah. you have been covering the jazz in one form or fashion for three and a half decades. Oh, you thank were, you. You're welcome. <laughs> you were an analyst with Hot Rod Hunley before John Stockton had won enough to have an attitude. That was a long time ago. Thank you. Yes, I was 12. You saw that. I, I, sorry, I left that detail out. You are yes. correct. You were 12. Uh, you are the only junior high student ever. To, okay. 
<laughs> Have you ever seen the movie Almost Famous? Okay, oh, yeah. there's Bowler's yeah. Life. That's, That's it. That's my life. That's yeah. it. So you've you've seen this story plowed over and over again. The hopes are up. The Jazz lose two. How are you supposed to be better than nine and two in eleven games? Now, Jazz fan, listening to this is screaming to the car. You dang well know how DJ beat some of the best teams. We all know they're beating the bottom and the middle of the league, and not the top of the league. Do you think? And you can psychoanalyze Jazz fans. You've been around them as much as anybody. If the Jazz were winning the Phoenix game, but then offsetting it because nobody wins more than nine out of eleven. If they were offsetting that by losing to Orlando or Memphis or whoever else, would Jazz fan feel any differently? Or would we just be yelling and arguing and, and gnashing our teeth over a different loss? No, I think that uh, this is uh, you're, you're gnashing your teeth uh, over teams that you have to beat sooner than later in the West. Uh, to solidify yourself as a true contender. And I think that's what the critics of the Jazz are, are barking. I really haven't – I didn't want to check yet this morning because I just – you know, I set up late last night, got home, and just kind of watched a couple of uh, – an old Andy Griffith just to kind of make me chuckle that <laughs> I that I went to bed. But, you know, the bottom line is you can easily dominate lower-level teams like the Jazz have done, teams that are by far – uh, not superior, and also have been ravaged by injury. And that's what the Jazz have been really doing, and not only beating them, but punishing them. So I think as Jazz fans, uh, you know, tell me, they, you know, you kind of get into a mode, uh, PK and DJ, where you think that this is going to be, you know, 25, 35-point wins on a, on, a, on a given night, on any given night, and the fact that the three ball will be record-setting. And so there's a bit of that spoiled, you know, mentality, and I get it. But then you run up against two teams of late who have played just tremendous defense. I mean, they pressure the three-point line. Uh, They do not let you escape. They do not let you pass the ball in the perimeter. And they hug you on the hip 24-7. And that's just the case. It is. Right now, Dallas is hot. They're playing with great confidence. They're, you know, and the Jazz had to hit the road for these two games. Tonight will be another test against uh, against Portland, who, by the way, got about a two-hour-plus practice in at Vivint Arena yesterday afternoon and that we're, we're, are sitting here waiting to play the Jazz, who got in very late last night. So uh, a, a stat that no one likes to hear, but the last two games, uh, 23 of 88 from three, and that's 26%. Also, offensive rebounds, you can't, I, you know, teams are just, last night it was just like off the rim again, off the rim again. And the Jazz, you know, have got to just find a way. Aiton was uh, pretty impactful last night. And just second chance points and those fast break points, PK2, is the, there's, there's three things that got me last night. Fast break points off of those defensive rebounds. Sometimes, again, the Jazz don't turn and run. And other teams know that if they get out and run downhill, they can beat the Jazz to the rim. And that's what we saw a lot of last night. 
So we're talking about what I considered vulnerabilities, not necessarily weaknesses because I haven't seen enough because after 51 games, they still have the best record in the conference. So you can't really say it's a major weakness, but a vulnerability. And you look at those rebounding numbers, and they really jump off the page at you as you look at the box score. And as you're watching the game, particularly that one where Aiton – it seemed like by himself gave the Suns three opportunities yeah. Yeah. to score, and they, and they did. So my thought for you is how much of a vulnerability is rebounding going to be for the Jazz? Well, you know, they have to fix it. But I tell you what, I really, Matt and I were talking after the game. I mean, basically, Phoenix is a pretty good-sized ball club. I mean, just to take away Chris Paul at one. You know, look, Devin Booker is bigger than Donovan. Uh, Aiton is just an inch or so smaller than Gobert. But then you go Bridges at six seven, and you know Jay Crowder is really a guy that found a home with the Jazz for those two years and played that you know roughneck type of defense too, and was very emotional when he played on the floor. Uh, you know, Cam Johnson, Torrey Craig, they're, they're long guys off the bench. And I think that was the biggest issue last night is the Jazz actually had trouble with length uh, because, again, they could put a hand in the passing lane and just disrupt and crowd. And I still think it's it's got to be something the Jazz have got to figure out. Uh, but, again, uh, when you're not as big as your opponent, it, you even have to work harder. Blockouts. And last night, you know, there were several times that, you know, Aiton just kind of, was over the top of guys and just picking off rebounds. And that's that one series I remember, PK, very well to the left side of my screen, the Jumbotron, that was just like, bang, there it is again, there it is again. The Jazz looked like they were in position, by the way. But just, I see more teams, too, tipping the ball, um, you know, making the second effort just to keep the ball alive and, and, and seeing if they can't tip it to a teammate. And last night, Phoenix was really good at that. And uh, you know, it's it's frustrating because the Jazz did still have looks from three. They had good looks in Dallas. They had looks last night. Simple. If you make them, you're a hero. If you don't, then you label you get labeled as struggling. And in all reality, Jordan Clarkson is at the moment, and the same goes for Mike Conley all of a sudden. At least last night he had a great game in Dallas. But when you look at one of eight from Bogey and one of seven from Mike, and three of nine from Clarkson, and uh, Royce O'Neal uh, really can't give you much right now except on the defensive end. He's working his tail off on the defensive side. Offensive performance is tough to come by, but, um, you know, it's it's the highs and lows of a season. But it's that time of year, too, where people now are beginning to focus in more and more on who you're beating and how you're doing it or not doing it. And that's why, again, tonight, is another big game coming off the road against the Blazers who, you know, are well-rested and they practiced and they probably know how they want to defend, obviously, the Utah Jazz. And Utah, by the way, the pressure is also a little bit on. Haven't lost a ball game in 2021 at home. It's April. Unbelievable. They're due. Nobody wants to hear that, but they're due. So the problem with the regular season that doesn't replicate the playoffs, unless you get into a what they're doing this year with the you know two games in three days in the against the same team in the same city, then you get it a little bit. But in the playoffs, something goes wrong, and then you've got to adjust. 
And so if this were a playoff series, we could see how the the Jazz would adjust in the rebounding. Instead, we get another regular season game, and one team's rested and one team's not, which isn't going to happen in the playoffs, except possibly in game one if you went seven in the previous series and they were done in four or five or whatever. So it, it doesn't really give us the read people want. And we're also seeing these teams get up for the Jazz. I mean, how else do you explain oh. Dallas beating the Jazz and being brilliant and then losing to the Rockets and sucking so completely and knowing they are <laughs> sucking so completely yeah. that Luka Doncic is beating up the bench? You know, yeah. punch the chair cushion and throw the water bottle on the ground because he knows this isn't a C-minus effort. This is an yeah. F, yeah. right? So yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, again, you make a great point, is that the Jazz, to be champions, to be respected at the highest of levels, is knowing now that you are targeted. And you have to get used to that on a nightly basis. I mean, you can ask Carl and John about that. You can ask LeBron about it. Uh, Steph Curry in the day of, of the great warrior teams and what Bird and Magic you know, did and Michael Jordan had to perform at the highest of levels on every given night because that was what it was expected. So the next step, if you are a high-level team but be to, to, to be a title team, man, you have to take hits and recover on a nightly basis. And again, maybe that's part of this, this process that continues for this franchise. Look, there's, this is a good team, and there's all-stars for a reason. Uh, but yet, when you build your offensive around two things, rim and Gobert, and also the three-point shot, if it goes away on a given night, it can be trouble. And that's what's happened against Dallas and, uh, and last night in Phoenix. How do you fix it? Do you go back inside? I do look at one, one factor last night that told me that the Jazz actually knew they were struggling, and they went, and Bogey especially, <clears throat> decided to become a more physical inside player, PK. And look, they got 62 points in the paint. That's a big-time number. Uh, but again, if you can't hit a three to complement that, then you you know have trouble. You talked to DJ about you know making those changes. I thought the Jazz went into the locker room and came back out with a, a – a pretty good game plan. At least they made some adjustments and they battled and fought in that big three to, to send the game into overtime. But man, it's tough every night playing uphill. And, you know, we heard that some last year uh, about just not competing or not being able to hit shots, which allows you or doesn't allow you to, to play even. So you're always running uphill to try to get back into a ball game. And that happened quite a bit last night, but yeah, I give credit to the Jazz. I mean, they, they, I thought they played hard. Second half, entertaining. Yeah, they just couldn't get it done in overtime. So this whole theory of live by the three, die by the three, I think it's somewhat oversimplistic because they, 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 if losing equals dying, uh, I guess you got me there. But at the same time, they weren't hitting from the threes, 25% or whatever it was, and they still managed to push the game into overtime. So if we take a step back, you you push a game into overtime against a team that has the second best record in the conference, so they're obviously very good too. And I'm wondering, we're getting worked up about live by die by, whereas you know they lose an OT and they didn't shoot the three. So the point I'm making is that there's other ways to compete and potentially win. And do the Jazz have that ability? 
knowing that there's going to be times when they're not going to hit the three, but there's mm-hmm. also times when they are going to hit the three. Yeah. No, I think that was, you know, the, the 62 points in the paint kind of uh, gave me some a realization last night that uh, Boyan realizing that he's a strong player, PK, and it can actually score, and he did on this road trip. I thought he took his game inside and, and powered in and played well. Rudy hasn't missed a shot, did not miss a shot on this road trip. He was 13 of 13 from the floor. Um, you know, it's uh, the other part of this, too, is – Joe Ingles is a pretty big part of, of what they do and their success. And he had two shots in Dallas and took four last night. Now, I don't know if he starts tonight. That hasn't been revealed yet on a back-to-back with Mike Conley. But I still believe, you know, Joe's an integral part. And it's with with the team as it is and Clarkson, who is a high-volume shooter, it's tougher for Joe to get those shots when he's, you know, jumping off the bench. Some nights, yes, but sometimes no. And I think Joe plays a big part of the Jazz success as well. And only to get six shots in the last two games. And he sometimes gets six shots in a quarter on given nights. But, you know, they'll figure it out. I, I You know, look, I know it's, you know, people get panicky because there's a lot of hype and a lot of expectations. But PK still a lot of basketball to be played. Uh, you know, what are we, 50 games in, 51? So, you know, there's 21 left, and there's a lot of basketball, and there's some tests that are coming again in L.A. later on next week, you Maybe. know, with a couple of games with the Lakers. Maybe. So, yeah. Well, Maybe. Let's see if the two stars play. Yeah, true. And if they're on true. minutes restrictions when they do play. Right. Uh, okay, I mean, so Kev, we, I mean yeah, what, get, Kevin Durant came back and played. What was, what was 19 he minutes. Night? He played 19 minutes. 19 He's minutes. five for five. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 17 points in 19 minutes. Uh, so two th- we got to go, Boulder, but two things you touched on here. One, we got to dig a little deeper than the missed threes. The Jazz changed the way they played offensively and the way they attacked in the third quarter. So the question is, are they going to be able to solve problems faster? Can you make those adjustments in a timeout mm-hmm. or just on the fly? We got a high yeah. IQ basketball team here. Make those adjustments on the fly in the second quarter. Learn your lessons in the first quarter. The three isn't going. That's your priority. Go with it. If it doesn't work, but if they adjust in the second quarter and have a 38-point second quarter, we might be talking about a win instead of you know giving the Suns 12 more minutes to control the game. Yeah, and so that's point. one thing. And the other thing I wonder, and this is where Quinn's got to work his magic and relationships and how you tell a guy, PK was hitting on this a little bit earlier, how you tell a guy, you can't tell Clarkson not to shoot. Okay, he's in a cold slump, but if you tell him, stop shooting, it's going to get in his head. He's going to do what Bogey did late in the game and hesitate on a three that it should have been catch and shoot. And then you hesitate and you're out of rhythm and you miss it. You made the shot more difficult. You did it. The the defense didn't. But I think with Clarkson, the thing, if I could have him grasp one thing, trust your teammates. If you give the ball up with 18 or 16 on the shot clock, you'll get it back. Yeah, that's a great point. And so you'll still get the shots. But the whole defense is focused on you. Move the ball, loosen the defense up, and then attack it. Trust your teammates, you'll get the ball back. I'm not sure he's all in on that concept right now. Yeah. Uh, To your point, 14 assists last night on 46 uh, field goals that were made. The Jazz are in the 20s on a good night uh, in mid-20s. And so, yeah, yeah. You know, the blender, as everyone likes to call it, has been kind of uh, been put on a, you know, it's, it's spinning a bit. So, um, 
Uh, all good points. All good points, and I, I guarantee you discussed on the on the flight back with Quinn and his staff. All right, Bowler, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Talk soon. All right. Bob Casper has been contacted. All is well. We will check in with him next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the big show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. This Uinta Golf Masters update with Bob Casper is brought to you by Mountain Land Supply, Zion's Bank, Black Desert Resort, and get some guns and ammo. Now, here's Real Golf Radio's Bob Casper. Time to welcome in Bob Casper to talk Masters. And Bob, as we watch some of the early stuff, boy, do I have questions for you. Are you ready? You do. I do. Number one. How come at the most beautiful, most beautiful park on the PGA Tour, I'm looking at brown grass on the greens? What? And also, how is that impacting the putting? Well, um, as we've talked about all so far during the week, all the players say that the greens are the firmest and the fastest, the most fiery that they've seen them um, early in the week. So, um this is just a continuation of that. Uh, the greens are firm. The greens are quick. And what they do in a major championship or at Augusta when they want those greens to be really fast and firm is they kind of put them on the edge and they um, they stress them out a little bit. And that's what you're seeing on the screens um, in the broadcast is that they're a little brown right now and they're a little stressed out. Um, and they'll keep the moisture in them a little bit um, each day. But, you know, later on in the week, we're looking for some some thunderstorms and some rain. So I think what they're trying to do is set the golf course so scores are, um, are not too low, you know, with only two under leading right now um, through, you know, the, the morning wave so far that has teed off. Um, it, they're just trying to keep – things under check and make this golf course play firm and fast like they like they normally do in an April. So when you say April, I think that that highlights April being the difference this year. Traditionally, that's what it is versus November, what it was last year. And Dustin Johnson set records last year. So is it a yeah. matter of just the fact that is it a different time of year that's not going to allow those records to be set? So, PK, what what happened in in November is this golf course, they shut it down um, at the end of May. Then they opened it back up in October. So from August to October, what they do is they overseed the golf course and overseed it in in the ryegrass, the beautiful green grass that you see right now. Underneath that, it's it's a Bermuda grass. Um, So... When that gets overseeded, they have to take care of it 
because that is basically the grass that they're going to be using throughout the season and in the April Masters, which is the Masters right now. But last year they had to play it in November. So the golf course played softer because they have to they have to protect that grass, allow it to grow, um, give it plenty of water. The golf course played softer, the greens played softer, and that's why you shot that's why we saw the scores um, predominantly um, in that masters uh, shooting twenty under par. Now we have seen you know seventeen and eighteen under par two or three times, four times maybe um, in, in April. But in those years, there there was moisture also. There was some rain, that kind of thing, which softened up the golf course a little bit. But they're not they're not in the in the first couple days of the tournament. They're expecting to keep this this golf course firm and fast, and then see what happens with uh, with the weather as the weekend comes around. So as the tournament starts, PK and I have the uh, screen on, and we're seeing all these guys on the range, and they're, they're guys on the range, you know, a yeah. couple hours. I mean, yeah. you know, you're the, the weekend force them. You know, amateurs have to work, and you can't go to the golf course two hours before you play a four-hour round or whatever. Right. You don't have that kind of time. I'm curious, how much are these guys really working on something? How much are they just trying to get comfortable and get in a mindset, and how much are they really – grinding, fine-tuning something before they go out on the course? What are they doing out well, there? Well, I don't think they're really, you know, if if your your game is where it needs to be, um, you're just trying to, um, especially if you're playing in the afternoon, and, you know, I was watching Justin Thomas, Tony Finau, they're playing in the, you know, the second to the last group. Um, you come to the golf course, you know, you have some breakfast, you um, you go out, you put a little bit, um, you go hit some wedges, you, you might come back and putt a little bit more, um, just to kind of get a feel and kind of get into all the stuff. Then you go back and in about an hour before starting time, you really start to dial in and hit shots on the range, hit drivers, um, get warmed up for, for your round. And then you go back and putt a little bit and then you go to the first tee. So guys are just trying to get into the flow of things. If you're really working on something on a Thursday morning that is bugging you, you're you're in a world of hurt right now because chances are you you aren't going to find it out on the golf course and you're not going to find it in your warm up practice time. So I think I think you know most of the guys have have worked out this morning. Most of the guys are trying to get into the flow of things, and um, I and I I think you know predominantly it's just um, you know being active. And and trying to uh, trying to get the right mindset so that you're ready to go when you hit the first tee. Do you think it's harder to win the Masters or defend winning and try to win a second time? Um, it's I, I think it's definitely harder, probably to win the Masters for the first time. Um, as far as like DJ or any of the other guys that have won the Masters and then tried to defend the next year, I think that's extremely difficult as well. I mean, there's only three guys that have done it, Jack and, and Nick Faldo and Tiger, uh, that have defended and won the, the, the next year. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of both, but, but definitely to win the Masters um, and, and make it your get, – get it as your first major um, or, you know, win it for the first time, I think that's definitely harder. All right, so we're watching stuff that's catching our eyes. You've got a trained eye. Have you seen anything this morning that's caught your attention? 
Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I see there's you know there's there's a couple things that I see. Patrick Reed got off to a good start. Uh, John Rahm got off to a good start. They're both one under par. Sander Shoffley's one under par. Webb Simpson's one under par. Um, Xander's finished second here. Webb Simpson's finished top five here. Rahm's finished top ten, top five. Patrick Reed's one. Um, the people up above them, Matsuyama, Answer, Kevin Kisner. Um, Kisner is local from the area. K- Kisner lives um, right uh, in South Carolina, just up the road, 30 minutes away. Um, so he's probably played that golf course a bunch of times. But we haven't seen, like, the headliners really take off or anything. I, I, I just think that as far as the golf course is concerned and how it's set up right now and what you're seeing, you know, pointing out gr- the, the greens turning a little bit brown, um, I think they're expecting some some slight wind this afternoon, which could make things a little bit more difficult. I I don't see anybody shooting lower than 68 today. Um, golf course is just playing um, difficult right now. Would you rather be on Sunday in the lead or maybe be two or three strokes behind when you wake up? Uh, definitely in the lead. I mean, the interesting thing is, um, you know, my dad won in 1970. Um, in 1969, he had a three-shot lead going in the final round, and he had and he played a bad round. He shot a couple over par and, and lost by a shot to George Archer. You know, all he needed to do was traditionally, you know, he, he scores really, really well when, he, when he's leading. But um, uh, and then the next year he was in the leading one. So uh, I think most of the guys would would like to be in the lead and have guys come come after him and catch him. Um, you know, Tiger for the first time ever, ever at the Masters in his five wins came from behind to win um, a major championship, um, and it was at the Masters for his for his fifth one. So um, you know, I just I, I think most of the guys would like to be in the lead. Um, and um, I, I don't think guys like to be chasing, but that's the cool thing about Augusta National is that once you get done with that front nine and you go to the back nine, there's scoring opportunities back there to make birdies and, and make some eagles, and, and that's what makes it so great is guys can chase you down on the back nine. That's the best part of that course, right? There's so many courses, oh, yeah. There's so many holes on that course where you can stand on the tee and know I could make birdie and I could make bogey. And so the two-shot yeah. swings – and so the tournament's so unpredictable, it's so much fun to watch. Because yeah. there, there are a lot of courses that host majors that don't have that. It's, a, it's no. par bogey yeah. or it's birdie or par, but that, yeah. you know, that two-shot swing is, is awesome. It's what makes this tournament special. All right, now yeah, on the, the list risk, of things the that only— reward. Yeah. DJ, the risk-reward. Yep, right. Risk-reward on the golf course, yeah. So now on the list of things that only Dumb and Dumber would talk about, but they fascinate PK and I because there's no amount of minutiae that wouldn't get to us. You see a few guys warming up, and they got the earbuds in or whatever, and you're thinking, oh, they're listening to music. And PK's like, well, it's funny because PK was like, well, golf is primarily white Republican sport. It's probably overwhelmingly country. But the guy I was looking at was Patrick Reed, and the first thing I thought is he's the one guy on tour who'd be listening to metal. Are guys really listening to music? PK's like, you know, it could just be like some kind of soft instrumental jazz just to block everything <laughs> out so they focus on whatever they focus on. And the music doesn't really matter. It's just more about blocking everything else out. You ever talk yeah. to guys about this music and their routines and their warm-ups? Maybe they're listening to, you know, positivity self-help tapes, although I think that would be like working, working hard on your game. Like, uh-oh, you're in trouble. 
Yeah, I, you know, I think most of the guys are listening to music, and I think most of the guys are listening to anything that is going to get them fired up and get them pumped up, in my opinion. Um, and so, I mean, it could be metal, it could be whatever. But I think most of the guys are doing that. The other thing that they're doing is they're checking their, you know, you'll see that little box, that little, um, what is it, track man or flight scope. They're checking their distances, how the ball's flying that day. Um, with certain clubs, that kind of thing, because it it tells it tells the guys um, you know how far and that and that's a a, a thing that they use um, on a on a daily basis when they practice so that they can dial in their distances with their clubs and all that kind of thing and really figure out what's happening with temperature uh, with humidity um, with all that kind of thing. To, to see how they're flying it that day because, you know, one day differs from from one to the next. You know, temperatures today are supposed to get up to around mid-80s um, back there, so the ball's going to be flying a little bit further. Um, you know, maybe yesterday was high of 75, and it's 10 degrees uh, cooler. So they can check on the range with that track man or flight scope or whatever to see how, how far, far the ball is actually flying that day so that they can be dialed in once they get on the golf course. There's, there's some pretty cool things that go on with technology. Well, I wish both of you guys luck and see us who's finishing second. Well, I guess we'll see, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, by second, of course, I mean actually fourth total because the three guys I picked are going to finish one, two, three. You would be, oh, you would be you got a trifecta un- going, huh? That would be unbearable yeah. if that happened. <laughs> you know, it would be unbearable, but you know what? It's highly unlikely and probably impossible. Oh, it's just even it's Monday's gonna be so sweet. <laughs> oh, you think? <laughs> the truth is that PGA tour, when you get the top guys together, you know there's twenty yep. to twenty five guys who can win and we only draft nine and then Tony is held as our tenth group guy. Yep. So the odds yep. are we didn't pick the winner which is how it worked out, what, two times out of three last year. So. Yeah. yeah, but I've overcome yeah. the odds many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. As you were saying, you know, these are the best players in the world. There's only 88 guys playing this week. Um, and anyone can win on any given week um, on the PGA Tour. But when you're talking about a major, it, it it's, um, sifts some guys out. And the guys that, that traditionally do the best are the guys that have contended in majors or have won majors before. And you'll see that happen throughout the week. But Colin Morikawa tripped us all up. He did? We didn't see him coming at the at Harding Park. At the PGA? At Harding Park at the PGA, yeah. You know, and but that was a perfect place for him to win a major championship because he went to school mm-hmm. at Cal and he played that golf course all the time. So that was that was a perfect place for him um to be able to win a major championship. Yep. All right, Bob, we appreciate it. Thanks for hopping on. We'll talk All to right, you. Guys. We'll hear you guys Saturday morning. You and, uh, you and BT, Brian Taylor, Saturday morning here on The Zone. Yep. Take care. All right. DJ and PK, your feedback coming up. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Everybody needs to lighten up on the Jazz's defensive rebounding. The Suns were throwing up all kinds of bad shots because the Jazz's defense was awesome, and they were getting so many lucky bounces off those bricks they were chucking. So go Jazz. There are a lot of Jazz fans that need to remember that a shooting slump is a lot better than an injury bug. 
So just chill. The jazz will get better. Chill, PK. I don't want to chill. I chilled all winter. I want to be warm now. Oh, what is it going to be, 60 today? It's warm enough. It's where the jazz are right now, right? They're warm enough? They're not cold. They're not hot. People want answers. They got high hopes. They want W's. They want a lock. They want to know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they'll get a fair amount of W's going down the stretch and, and put themselves in a good position to be ready to go when the postseason hits. I, I think I like a little stumble right now when you'll step back. You don't want it to be that easy and take it for granted, and you certainly don't want them to peak now. You also don't want them to be, okay, this is the start of the downslide that continues into the postseason, so there's any number of ways that you can view it, but a little problem, a little adversity right now, I don't think that's that big of a deal as long as you come out of it, get yourself ready to go mentally, be mentally tougher as the postseason approaches, get some tests here, and give yourself more of an edge. Scorb Daddio says, I feel Joe needs to start in place of Royce. He does much better when he starts. Maybe get off to a better start. Also, Buckets ain't getting many recently. He seems reluctant to shoot like last night on open shots. Can't have that. Q has his plan, but maybe a little tweak? See, I think a little tweak would be more change in rotation and the distribution of minutes. You know, who starts? Very few NBA games are won or lost in the first six minutes. Last night certainly wasn't. Uh, so a tweak to the rotation seems to me far more likely than a change to the starting line. I'm not really necessarily interested in who starts, but I want, and whatever minutes Joe gets, I want him to be more active. When you have that prolific of a shooter and he's only taken four shots, he's not going to have the impact that he can have. It's simple as that. I don't really see how you can argue. Joe Ingles has proven himself to be an excellent, way above average shooter. So you've got this great weapon. And in the last two games, four shots, Craig Bojack just said it, he hasn't taken enough shots. I don't think that you can really argue. I'm a simple mind here, and I don't understand basketball to the level of these great basketball minds, and I know there's stats and everything. Whatever I say, there's a stat to prove it wrong. Go ahead and prove it wrong. All I know is he has proven to be one of the best three-point shooters in the league, and he's not having enough FGAs. The stats actually back you up. They don't prove you wrong. During the ESPN broadcast, flipping back and forth, I watched a little of the local and a little of the national, trying to get the flavor of both. And when it happened to me on ESPN, they put up a stat about he's the leading league in shooting in a in a shooting efficiency because you got to weight effectiveness. Thank you. They they got to weight the three point shots, and he's so good there. He's number one in the league. And so you would think that the dominant emotion from the opposing coach when he looks at a box score afterwards would be like. Whew, glad that guy didn't take more shots. Exactly. He's yes. the most effective guy. Like, well, he isn't going to score 20 on us if he takes two or four shots. I don't, I don't need Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles to have the same amount of shots. I, I'm sorry, I don't. And I know we love these guys and they're hard-nosed and they play their hearts out and yada, yada, yada. I want Joe taking more shots than he's taking. And I certainly want him taking more shots than Royce O'Neal is taking. Here's the thing for Bogey and for O'Neal. And for um, Ingles. Joe's got the rep, and they're not leaving him. So what the Jazz have to choose now is, and this is why Royce takes so many open shots, because I don't view him as a guy who launches, a selfish guy, a gunner, whatever you want to draw on him. What it comes down to is they're leaving him 
because they fear him the least. I mean, they can read the stats and they know that he could crush them in any one game. And he could because he's good enough to do that. But right now, he's not shooting it well, and they're leaving him and taking their chance, and they're not leaving Joe. And the Jazz are largely, not completely, certainly not in the case of Mitchell and Clarkson, but they are largely guided by the principle of who is open. The two guys who will take contested shots and force it and who take the tough shots at the end of the clock against pressure are Clarkson and Mitchell. So those rules don't completely apply to them. They do partially, but not completely. For these other guys, who's open? They're not leaving Joe. He's not open. He's either A, not shooting, or B, sometimes not even getting the ball. There are possessions he doesn't touch it. Meanwhile, Royce O'Neal is coming open, and so you're the open guy, you take, got to take the shot, and he's missing it. Now, the thing what we've seen with Bogey is he's been open, he's been reluctant to take it, and it really bit him late in the game when he passed up a three he needed to take in rhythm, and he didn't, and he hesitated and hitched, and he was out of rhythm, and he missed it. But he's been great at using his size and strength and getting into the paint and either going by people or scoring over him. Well, he was one of eight from three last night, which, man, you read that number and you flinch. He was seven of nine on two pointers. That is, that is excellent. Yeah. And so he ends up with a 20 point game on eight of 17 shooting. But the one of eight, you're like, man, if he's three of eight, which he's absolutely capable of doing, that's 37%. Yes. We win. <laughs> you get a W, you put it on the chalkboard down in your little main cave, you flex into the mirror, and then you go upstairs and say hi to honey. My, wa- my sister texted me, sleep well tonight. And I said, well, I can't. We lost. <laughs> she's, a, she's a Suns fan. Sort of a Johnny-come-lately. Not a Johnny-come-lately, but... Uh, Drifted out when they sucked, and now that they're good, she's back. I've been a Suns fan for a long time, but not a Johnny. Fairweather. Fair you know what? I I better. I'm I'm okay with that. When you get to a decade, like you got to hey, stick I, with I, them I through you. the ups and downs, yeah. and like one bad year, let's not be throwing them overboard because everybody has a bad year. Everybody has injuries. A decade yeah. that you're just yeah. mismanaged at that point. Like you're heaping. I mean, you recounted them yesterday, PK. The number of bad draft decisions they made. Top ten picks. No oh, less, yeah, yeah. Just coming up, not even getting rotation guys. Just nothing. You know, so I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize her if your team's down for. A I'm decade. not criticizing her either. No, yeah, I'm just, is, I'm just pointing it out, and I probably would be if you're gonna suck for that long. Right. Well, yeah. Screw you. <laughs> yeah. Especially when the system of all the systems that's set up to allow you get better, it's the NBA probably has the best. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and your time's valuable and your money. So whether you're a season ticket holder or you're watching games, that's a lot of time to invest in a team that you know is just cranking out one twenty-two and sixty season after another. Which yeah. is literally what the Suns were doing for the last four years. Well, right. not last year, but the four years prior to that. Mm-hmm. It started to turn last year, and it really turned this year. All right, we're out of time. Hans and Scotty will pick it up from here, and we will talk to you tomorrow from 6 to 10. Uh, Joe Ingles is a probable tomorrow. David Locke will be here tomorrow, and we'll have more on the Masters. See you tomorrow morning right here on The Zone.